0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show coming to you on this Sunday, February the 20th, 2022. Hopefully, it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have my man, Dr. John Berardi in the house talking all things health, fitness, nutrition, and everything in between. But before I kick into that real quick, just some uh, housekeeping things. Reminder, um, we have a 30 for 30 challenge coming up here, and I believe it's 13 days from right now. Uh, again, if you guys want to check it out, jeremyskyfitness.com 30 30 challenge. Again, you guys are going to do something each day for all 30 days, about 30 minute blocks, give or take. Uh, if you got a set of dumbbells and a bench at home, you guys can crush this, It, uh, in my opinion, In terms of just fitness programming, it is the most complex thing that we've done, but all the progressions and regressions are built in, so any of you guys can crush it if you want to give it a shot, and if you really want to get down, um, hit me up. i will give you guys a little podcast discount code. Send it in. Monica will uh, shoot over to you. We'll hook you guys up a little thank you for uh, listening to the podcast, and... uh, will melt your face off inside of there as well and then real quick you guys already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at athletic greens it's the one thing i take every single day obviously i want you guys to eat real food as much as humanly possible but i'm also a realist and i know you struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables and so this is a nice way to cover the gaps in what you're doing and right now if you want to check it out We'll throw in a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up. And if you're really on the fence, maybe you've heard me talk about this 460 sometimes, or maybe this is the first episode you've listened to, message us. I don't care where it is. If it's on the website, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, if you throw... Uh, a letter in a bottle, and send it down the Salt River, we will find it. And I will have Monica send you a free pack right to your front door. I don't care what state, country, providence you live in, we will get you a pack. You can try it. It's the best tasting greens easily. And we've all drinking much worse things, especially in college. And at least this will be healthy for you and get you guys on the right track. So hit us up, or if you want to pick it up today, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get all the free stuff from there. It's always a mouthful. So We are here with the Dr. John Berardi. I think that's me. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, dude, this is awesome. Uh, I'm excited, uh, personally, uh, just to meet you because I've looked at your stuff for, I mean, decades uh, at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'll touch base on the story in a second, but uh, I'll share this really fast because we were talking before. uh, I was having dinner with... Uh, BJ Ghidor and David Jack like in December here and we're just kind of talking about fitness in general like we do and we get lost down a bunch of rabbit holes and uh, Dave is like you know uh, Berardi's here he's like you should get him on the podcast I'm like oh that's a great idea and then five hours go by completely space it until uh, John Goodman comes in and then connects us on a text message and obviously here you are so just a quick shout out to uh, the Canadian treasure Jonathan Goodman yes indeed yes for the help so for people who are listening um, and they don't know you, like, who is who's John Berardi, man? Yeah, I don't know. I
1: don't know. What do I tell people? I've, I'm in the next uh, V3 of my career or whatever, but most people would know of me probably through my work at Precision Nutrition. So Precision Nutrition is the world's largest nutrition coaching, education, and software company. Uh, I started that when I was just a young lad going through graduate school. And uh, nutrition was a big passion of mine. You know, I I came up as a a weightlifter and bodybuilder, uh, always enjoyed all things fitness. And um, But what I realized early on when I decided, hey, I'd like to actually maybe work in this field, is that everyone was trying to be a coach, a personal trainer, a strength coach, and those were all things I was really interested in. But I really liked the nutrition and supplement side. And I figured that um, if... I focused on that then every person who would have been my competitor right every personal trainer and strength coach yeah could now be a client of mine along with people who wanted to eat better and take the right supplements and look and feel better so it was a really cool opportunity for me to slip right into a niche that wasn't re- really being filled um, there weren't too many people working health fitness bodybuilding even sport who had advanced degrees Uh, in nutrition and supplements. So so I did. I went and got a PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry. And what made me kind of unique in that space was I had all these like fitness and sport related questions that I wanted answering. You know, I mean, most of my colleagues would study protein turnover and protein synthesis to figure out maybe how to treat burn Victims in burn wards or how to treat a host of diseases. And while I think those are noble areas of research, I was just mostly interested in fitness and sport and that kind of thing. So I was kind of w- in with the eggheads, but I was doing meathead uh, research, you know? Well, because you're a bro. Yeah. Like deep down. Yeah. I mean, I competed in bodybuilding back in the day. And I, I, I start, I mean, I, I remember when I was preparing for the uh, Mr. Junior USA contest, the big. Uh, now, I mean, I'm going to be dating myself here, but I remember when creatine came out. You know what I mean? Like oh, man. It, everyone now just knows of creatine. But I remember when it was a new thing there were basically two supplements on the market. There was meal replacements, right? Metrex had the first meal replacement and it came in two like silos. They were two, like two jugs attached and you had to do like a scoop of one and a scoop of the other. I don't, I don't know why if they thought they would explode if you mix them in the actual containers and then, and then, so we were all using these uh, two packet meal replacements and then creatine came out and people were like, this is the, this is the thing. And, you know the idea of comparing nutritional supplements to steroids for example which people often do nowadays wasn't even a thing that all came when creatine came out but then then a supplement i don't even know if you remember this vanadyl sulfate vanadium it's a trace mineral it used to come in it was the original little blue pill right it yeah came a little yeah. it came in a little blue pill and uh people thought it gave you incredible pumps in the gym And they thought it helped to shuttle, basically, glucose into your muscles, right? So it was a nutrient partitioning agent, right? Kind of like what metformin might do nowadays. So something that basically helps you to control your blood sugar and put it into the muscles rather than convert it into storage as fat. And so vanadyl sulfate had just come out as well. And so we were doing studies with vanadyl sulfate to see if it could help our performance in the gym. So I was a college student, and we would go to the uh, rec center at our university yeah. and recruit a bunch of weightlifters and bring them in and give them the little blue pill and measure their blood glucose and things like that trying to figure out what was going
0: on and what year
1: what year is this uh 1995 1995 it's way back yeah
0: well you say metrics and i was going to say this anyway my mom got into she like grew up you know and my mom is well she lies a lot now so i don't know how old she is <laughs> um but this is her on the cover of this magazine here when she's like in her later fifties. Oh wow. And uh, when she turned like somewhere in her thirties, she started like working out on dating a dude who in my mind, like looks like I look now basically. And, uh, but into the whole bodybuilding scene, like loving it. And one of the first protein powders I ever had was Mm metrics. And I remember as a kid, I had to be like seventh grade, eighth grade taking it, but I'd have to take it over the toilet because it tasted so terrible oh yeah it was was absolutely it's we've come a long way with protein powders for sure (laughs) absolutely but I do remember those early early on so as you're you're doing that is that always the plan and obviously like full disclaimer he has a book change maker which we'll talk about in a second which is a great book honestly for anybody but I'm reading through it and your origin story is different yeah totally like yours probably comparable to mine like where I was a knucklehead doing Mm -hmm. a bunch of stupid shit yeah uh, if you will and when did the the switch kind of change for you? Yeah, so I
1: mean, for me, I was born preemie. So I was born small and weak and with asthma and allergies. I have to go every Friday as a kid to get my allergy shots and my deltoids. And uh, I had a little inhaler that I had to take around with me if I ever, God forbid, ran or something like that. And I, I come from an immigrant family. And so my mom's this uh, Italian lady who was real skittish around me participating in sports in general, but then also because I was small and weak and sick. So I, I, I didn't come up like a lot of people in fitness who grew up in health and fitness, who it was a meaningful part of their childhood. And then, you know, they were maybe even athletic, more athletic than other kids. And then they just sort of parlayed that into a career.
0: Here, here I am. Yeah. <laughs>
1: there you go. For me, it was quite the opposite. You know, I was small and weak and picked on and didn't do sports but, um, no sports. I thought that I wanted to, you know what I mean? I was like, it seems fun. It seems like people kind of like the athletes in school. So man, what would it be like for me to do that? And so I started just reading on this stuff on my own. You know, I started reading about nutrition and health and fitness and strength training. So probably when I was like 14 or 15, um, found myself some weights that I put up in the garage, you know, and then I started like Cooking my own food, like I I remember, I bought like a pasta maker so I could make my own pasta as a, a teenager. And uh, that's
0: crazy that you're so young doing that.
1: Yeah, well, this is like when you're not athletic, you just spend a lot of time <laughs> yeah. re- reading stuff at home, you know. So I was a bookworm. So that was my that was my path to it. I read a lot about nutrition, and I read, oh wait, if you actually get a hold of your nutrition, maybe some of your symptoms will go away asthma, allergies, these kind of problems that I had. Yeah. And, uh, and I started doing it and started working. And I also responded really well to strength training. You know, I started gaining muscle pretty quickly and people were noticing. I, I still remember this day, like one of the cutest girls in school or whatever came over at a, uh, after school swim party at a friend's house and grabbed my bicep and was like, you know, Oh wow, you've been working out. You look really good. Your muscles are growing. And it, that was like full on validation that probably supported my training for the next 10 years. That yes. one comment. Right. Um, but you know, the, uh, the other thing that was going on in my life was because I was picked on a lot growing up. I was really angry. And so I um, had this baseline of anger. I, did a lot of drugs and alcohol. I was partying and uh, I I wouldn't even call it partying because it was a lot of self-destructive behavior. I was arrested a lot before I was 18. And so um, I was not on the right path. I wasn't on the academic path, certainly. I wasn't on the upstanding citizen path. And I got into a car accident that uh, really turned things around for me. We were drunk and high and driving on some country roads and we crashed the car and all almost died. And that was like the big wake-up call for me you know um and that was when um all these little experiments playing around with like you know the sears weights in my garage and the healthy nutrition stuff a little bit dabbling with that while i was like shooting myself in the foot with drugs and alcohol um the drugs and alcohol kind of ended i found my way to a gym and at that gym i found a mentor Uh, this guy craig he owned a chain of gyms in the community i grew up in in philadelphia and um he was a big dude 240 and lean competitive bodybuilder oh, jacked yeah uh he was he didn't look like any of the people in my italian family he was he was uh of german descent and he had like this he looked he looked a little bit like uh, old school pictures of dave draper like, oh yeah blonde bomber he had oh, like man. that blonde wavy hair he was jacked he was Square jawline, super handsome, uh, successful guy, all the girls at the gym, you know, stars in their eyes and yeah, hearts in their eyes when you sure. walk by. And uh, And he t- took me under his wing, gave me a job at the gym, paid for me to go get a personal training certification and made me his training partner. And he taught me how to work out. And that was the turnaround for me. And he gave me books to read. Like, he, I would come to the gym with him and his advanced training buddies. And I would just learn, you know. And I would get the beatdowns, but I would grow from it. And then he, then when I would leave, he'd give me books, you know. And he'd be like, read this book. Read this self-help book. Read this book on philosophy. And um, we trained together for three years.
0: And he made me promise to go to university. And really set my life on a whole new path. It's crazy how you just meet, like, one... I mean, there's a series of events, but you meet like this one person and you gravitate Mm. towards them. And it's like, now you're on this different trajectory. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Because if you don't get in a car accident, like, do you ever become this person? And like, is PN even a thing and everything else that follows? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to know. Like,
1: perhaps this was all going to happen one way or another, regardless of the forks in the road. Maybe there are different forks. But nevertheless, I feel so incredibly grateful, you know, to have had like a wake up moment because that that car crash I mean it was cinematic in my mind at least in like as we were spiraling out of control you know heading for this forest that we were going to crash into I like time slowed down like people talk about and I saw like scenes from my life I saw me and my little brother growing up I saw my parents I saw my relatives and then the final scene before we crashed I saw myself being lowered into my grave with my parents standing over, like looking, obviously grieving, yeah, but ashamed, you know. And I was like, "Oh, I'm a. This is about to happen, and this is the legacy, quote unquote, that I'm leaving, right?" And uh, so then, when we ended up being okay, uh, I was like, "Man, not into that. <laughs> That's not how I want this it's to take like a second chance." Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it was. You know, it was like a glimpse into the future. And then, but the thing is, like, those kind of stories all sound like, okay, now we cue uh, triumphant symphonic music, and it's all uphill from there. But it's actually not, because my coping mechanisms were drugs and alcohol, and I decided to stop them that night. And also, my friends were part of this group that I now have to divorce. Yeah. So you, you basically are going into this new life with no coping mechanisms and no friends, fully alone, right? So what there's a void that you step into that almost feels worse for a while. For sure. You know, and then the gym became my coping mechanisms and then it became my community. And that was and so that's, you know, people sometimes ask why you do what you do or whatever and and, and I do a lot of coaching with this as you know with the new book stuff, but you know, what is your purpose? What is your unique abilities? What are your values? Well, Sometimes they just come to you randomly. This is, this is this random sequence of events that put this purpose into my life. To work in this field is as random as car crash. What am I going to do now that I don't have drugs and alcohol? Maybe I'll exercise my demons in the gym. Oh, the gym lifted me up. You know, It mentored me. It helped me. Yeah. Uh, maybe this is where I'll spend the
0: rest of my career. Which is crazy. Yeah. Because here we are, this mm-hmm. many decades later yeah so how does it evolve from that to you just one day like hey you know what let's start this nutrition company because it's it became this monster obviously Mm. and I'm always curious because like in your brain you just have this you create it from nothing right yeah which is super impressive yeah well thanks I
1: mean no no plan I mean what I realized then was that uh you know I whatever I don't have skills and stuff but I I started forging this discipline in the gym. You know, I did competitive bodybuilding and stuff, and we did powerlifting meets and all this kind of thing. And that was like my first taste of like, oh, if I want to accomplish something, here's a formula, right? You have to get good advice. You have to work like superhumanly hard. You have to give up a bunch of things that sound fun in the moment. Okay, cool. So there's this formula. Okay, I'm going to build that. I built my body with that. I won a bunch of competitions with that. And then it was really interesting because I competed in the Mr. Uh, USA contest in Las Vegas, 1995. And um, I competed on Saturday night. And on Monday, I started university. So I flew away from Vegas, flew to my new school. And then the next chapter of my life began. I became a student and pursuing academics. I was still going to work out for the rest of my life. But that was like my last bodybuilding competition. Um, I was like, I did that. That was cool chapter closed. What if I turn all this stuff, these skills that I built in this fire and drive and discipline towards a new thing, like growing my mind. And so then I just decided to just do that super well. So it worked out great. I ended up number two in my class at university. And since I was so good at school, and I still felt like I had loads to learn, you know, um, I went through four year degree and I learned a lot and I aced all my classes, but I still didn't feel learned and educated yet. And I think maybe that's something that as a kid growing up in an immigrant family, you never fully feel. Right? Yeah. Um, so then I'm like grad school. Cool. That makes sense. So then I'll like go do my master's, but I had a fork in the road there too. Cause I, at this point I was still trying to work hard at everything. Right. So it was like, what's the hardest thing I could do next? Well, med school sounds really hard. Right. Like it's difficult to get into once you get accepted. It's a really difficult program. Right. And uh, the smartest, quote unquote, smartest kids do that. And if you grow up in an immigrant family, being a doctor or lawyer is pretty much the only thing anyone wants you to do. Right. That's it. That's the respectable jobs. Right. Um, And and like everyone will brag about you and be so proud of you. Right. So I applied to all these med schools and I was like, that's going to be the path. I'm going to do that. Got in. And then fortunately, at the time, I just got a series of pieces of advice and read a few things in books and places like that that made me just say, wait, but am I going to like this? Like, it's cool to work hard at something, but am I going to like any of it? Or is this just another grind and accomplishment to attain? And I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this. What I would really love to do is just keep learning about exercise and nutrition. So I could either go to med school or go do a master's in exercise science. And, um, everyone thought I was nuts. I decided the latter for sure. Yeah. Like what the, the exercise physiology plant isn't hiring dude.
0: You know what I mean? Well, I always joke with people like, I'm sure the day I had one corporate job ever. And, uh, I remember the day, like calling my old man and telling him like, Hey man, I'm going to quit this corporate job and do fitness for Mm -hmm. a living. And bless his heart, never told me I was a fucking right. idiot. But I promise you, in mm-hmm. his head, he's like, this dude is so stupid right now. You know, there's benefits, there's this, there's this. Yep. Because how many retired, or I guess, in your case, how many doctors you know mm-hmm. in fitness and nutrition back in right. 2000? Yeah. Hardly anybody. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to take the path. Yeah. So um. So that, so that I just, like, I didn't have a plan.
1: I, I wasn't doing that yet in my mind. You know, I was just... Building skills, uh, you know. There's an element of like living in the moment, but I, I I didn't have Eastern philosophy to prop up the idea. It was just like this is hard enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just doing this. So then I, I did the masters, did great there. Went on, did the PhD in exercise and nutritional biochemistry. Loved loved all of that. And then toward the tail end of that, I just started like I was in the library all the time, like perverting my training towards fitness and strength and bodybuilding ends right yeah so everyone thinks it's funny like when you're looking like your professors and what, why are you spending your time like you could be like treating diseases and solving the world's greatest problems but I'm, I'm just into this i'm really interested in this so i i had all day thursday i would spend in the basement of the library reading through the latest journals now nowadays you get them online but there was no such thing back then um in my in my grad experience, I remember it wasn't until I had a P I was in my PhD program that I even got my first email address. So you weren't like looking up journals on the internet, you know? That's crazy. Um, I we we didn't even get high speed till I was in my PhD program. Um, so people were on dial up, you know, and so there wasn't much internet business back then. Yeah, I remember know? the days. Yeah, it was painful. Yeah, for sure. So I would spend all day in the library going through these bound journals and just looking for like. Are there little nuggets that I can turn into interesting stuff for strength training, for fat loss, for strength and conditioning, for speed, for sport, whatever. And uh, that was just, I started writing about it, you know. And there weren't too many people who were in grad school who could decipher the literature, who could write about it for, you know, the casual lifter or fitness fanatic. You know, and I started doing that. And again, that's when the internet started taking off, right? The first website was called TMAG, testosterone magazine, right? And they, they would publish, I remember they would publish like two articles a month kind of a thing, you know, and you would like sit there with a book while you waited for that webpage to load, (laughs) you know what I mean? Painful. And you're hoping it was a good article because it took 15 minutes to load that article, right? And, uh. And then that's where it started taking off. And then, then as I got high speed and you know, people started looking at stuff on the internet, I just I got a contract with them. So I was producing two articles a month with them. And it was great. Like I had a never-ending source of material because I was coaching some clients by now, working with some athletes, and I had access to all this literature that almost no one else did, right? And so I just kept talking about it. And the stuff that was interesting to me seemed like it was the stuff that was interesting to maybe guys like you coming up yeah and so then it just it just kind of ballooned from there and then people just kept asking me for more and more and more and then we decided to create products and videos and education and then coach
0: clients and it kind of ballooned from there and that's like what year is <coughs> excuse me does pn become kind of like a mm-hmm. a tangible thing
1: yeah i mean we had an early version called uh, it was johnbrardy.com and our business was science link so we were linking up science with you know, the, the research with the application. And that was like, so that would be like 2000 to 2005. And then 2006 is when we released Precision Nutrition. And the name of the company came from an article I wrote. I wrote this article, Precision Nutrition for 2000 and beyond. So it was the year 2000 I wrote that article. And it was kind of stuck in our heads. Like that would be a cool name for a company, Precision Nutrition. Uh, Maybe one day. So about five years later, we're like, yeah, we're going to call it that. And then we launched the business, which started as a coaching business, basically, you know, um, it was really the first time in the entire industry where coaching could become geographically independent, you know, like people could read my articles from, you know, USA, Canada, England, Germany, Australia, Italy, and they could coach with me, you know, from anywhere. Yeah. And, um, there's a certain marketing advantage to that, which we certainly exploited um, at the time. I was at uh, what used to be called the University of Western Ontario; it's now called Western in Canada, and it's kind of like um, like an Ivy League school of Canada. And um, I this is the same exact time where people are paying me from all over the world; they're flying me elite athlete teams from all over. U S and Canada to go work with them. And I walked up the hallway to the football team. So the Western Mustangs football team, and I just volunteered for free to help them out with their nutrition and supplements. It's crazy. They said, no, thanks. We're good. You know, isn't that nuts though? And it, it just, you know, there's a old saying, like no one can be a prophet in their own land. And it just really hit home. I'm like, Oh, actually this isn't a scenario where I'm succeeding out in the world in spite of the geographic difference. I'm succeeding because of it, right? People around here, are like how special could that guy be? He's just up the hall from me, right? But I seem really special to someone halfway across the world. So it was a really big marketing lesson too, right? Like what direction are people's minds already going and thinking? And what decisions are they making that are largely subconscious, and how do we tap into them to, you know, deliver value, but also help our own cause of,
0: you know, making money, making a difference, growing a company. It is, it's crazy you say that because like we talk about that with a lot of our fitness friends where we all have like a group text together, how we could fill a group with 200 people from anywhere. Yet if it's eight o'clock here, I can't get 15 people to show up mm. at one time because yeah. I'm just down the street. Yeah. Because I'm like, ah, oh, Jeremy's here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But some guy in Lithuania or England like thinks mm-hmm. I'm the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. The psychology behind that.
1: Yeah. There's 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 one thing that's really practical. You know, in in the business world, they call it like total addressable market, right? The total addressable market in Scottsdale for what you offer is much smaller than the total addressable market worldwide. Yep. Uh, but then there's this psychological piece as well that we just talked about, which I think people gloss over too too often. But, you know, so that was it. Like people from all over the world and were interested in what I was doing, right? Which felt really cool. It was it was really validating. I was still just a student. Um, but it just, the signs were all pointing to like, hey, this is a legitimate career path now that the internet has opened things up. And I was really fortunate. My business partner who started PN with me, his name's Phil Caravaggio. He was not from fitness. He was a systems design engineer. He was writing web interfaces for IBM and other big companies. So he understood what was coming with the internet. He understood how to make web pages and how to do commerce and things like that on the internet. And so it was a perfect combination, right? And I write about this and I've talked about this a lot. When choosing a business partner, what a lot of people do is just choose someone who's into what they are. Like, hey, you're into fitness, too. We should do something together. Yeah, but we have the same skill sets. That's right. So then we're just redundant. We're just splitting the money, you know, between two people who can do the same work. Exactly. That's a terrible idea, even though it sounds fun, you know. So uh, what we had was totally different and complementary skill sets, which made this thing work. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we started out coaching people and that grew really quickly you know pn now has coached hundreds of thousands of people you know through the web and our original premise was simply um i think generally when you go from like one-on-one or one-on-small group in person to one-on-many you presume the quality of that is going to go down so most people believe in their mind there's a trade right so uh The quality may be lower than if I worked with you in a small group in person, Sure, but it'll be cheaper and I don't have access to someone like you in my geography. So I can work with someone. So they're doing this like algebra, right? And our original premise was, can we create a coaching program online that's more effective than an in-person experience? Not is close enough that it's okay, but better, but better. Could (coughs) you do that? Yeah. And, and so we arrived at the idea that, well, with the amount of data you can collect and with the automation of messaging, like reproducible messaging, yep. we could do that, right? So I don't have to text you to say what workout's coming up tomorrow. The computer can do that because we created all that in advance, right? And I don't have to make sure you did your workout today. The computer can record that. So now I can have access to all this data that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Real-time, 24 hours a day data, if I need it on you, I can see how you ate. if you plug it into a thing. And you don't have to write it on a piece of paper and tell me, and I have to read it. You know. And so there's a way to scale the automatable things while leaving the coach for the only thing a human can do which is the troubleshooting and coaching, yep. right? So it allowed us to create a coaching program where one coach could coach 500 people and the results were no worse than if they coached 50 and we tested that, you know? It's pretty badass. So it scaled, yeah. you know? So And then what happened was people saw what we were doing and they're like, holy crap, can you teach me to do that? And then the certification was born. Which really became precision nutrition's kind of signature thing. You know, whereas we thought we would be the world's first big, you know, billion dollar coaching company, we ended up, you know, serving the professional fitness community by certifying, you know, now two hundred and fifty thousand people working
0: in health and fitness over the years. Is that when you knew it was like something different or like special, I guess, where you're like, Mm -hmm. Okay, this is because before that they're what you guys didn't exist. Right. So when I like first, I'll tell the story later. Like when I first read something you put out is when I'm doing my first cert. So this is like Oh five ish. And I'm doing ISSAs like first cert. Right. Pat Gamboa is actually like yeah. grading the test back then. Yeah. He's not running anything. And then I've been leaving. Yeah. So that's, I'm dating myself too, but there's a handful of things that are out there, but you guys don't exist yet. Mm-hmm. So to not even be in existence, like in like that, time frame to now being the yeah you guys are the best nutrition cert mm-hmm. most comprehensive i would say mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. like is that when you knew like okay this is going to be yeah something b- well, bigger was, than we thought it was it was interesting learnings because um
1: we used to do this thing a lot at precision nutrition you know we grew to about uh at least uh, until i sold my share of the company we were 120 full-time full benefits employees at the time that's a lot. um but we used to do this thing where we would uh, like to uh, make guesses and bets about how things will turn out and then test them and see and then loop back around and say, who's our best guesser about this thing? Who's our yeah. best guesser about that thing? It's fun. It makes work interesting, but it also uh, helps build up believability. Like some people are great at guessing the outcomes of certain things and we wait their guesses before we try something higher than the people who are bad at guessing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just yeah. makes sense. But um, so this, the certification was my big bet. You know, The whole company was still on the coaching track. And I remember uh, this was like maybe 06, saying, I, I think we need to sit down and write the industry's like most comprehensive nutrition certification. I think I have all the credentials to do it. I have the relationships with other people who can contribute and make sure it's solid and we can have great reviewers. And um, we just get like so many requests from professionals to teach them how we do this. That... W- I think we need to, I think we need to come up with something. And I, I remember like people wouldn't tell me, no, let's not do that. It's a dumb idea, JB, but maybe only because I'm who I am, not yeah. because they thought it was a great idea. You know what I yeah, mean? I get that. Um, but, uh, they let, they, they like, you know, kind of siloed me off and let me go work on my little JB project. And I, and I know there was an element of, isn't that cute what he's doing? he thinks that's going to matter when we're going to be a billion dollar coaching company. Yeah. And, um, and I remember just working on it and you know, whatever it took about two years to finish the first version and then we released it and it was just like a runaway wild success. And what's the, what year is this? This was like, I think Oh seven, it came out.
0: Okay. Yeah. And it's progressed since then. Yeah. I obviously. Mean,
1: you know, I th- I think maybe the, our first round we sold like 200 certifications and that was great, you know, but very quickly it was in the thousands and, um, it's a profitable product. So it was able to help fund other areas of our company. And I mean, nowadays PN does, I think 30,000 certs a year. I mean, it's, it's far in the way, like the only uh, certification that sells more is the top selling uh, personal training certification. No shit. Um, I mean, as of 2018, uh, PN was bigger in terms of, certifications and units and profit and stuff like that than um acsm nsca and a number of others combined and these are these were when i came up in the industry these were the big players like they were everything the most legit ones and then i started looking at the numbers i'm like we're we're beating every one of them the only company that sells more certs is like nasm and ace yeah and uh that was pretty cool it was it was cool to see
0: that's pretty awesome actually yeah so you sold it, obviously, mm-hmm. you sold eighty percent of it, or you sold all, yeah, of it? yeah, eighty percent, yeah, and uh I guess why sell it, mm-hmm. right, like you know, yeah. we've talked about this already, yeah, yeah, but just for people listening, yeah. I don't think so for someone who's listening right now who doesn't know you, mm-hmm. um there's a lot of money, yeah, and I probably would have done the same thing, hundred hundred percent, I would have for sure, because yeah. it's life changing mm-hmm. is that like? How does that come into to your mind or like how does that whole thing kind of play out? Well, you know, I, I love
1: I love what PN's doing now. I loved what I was doing then. Life was great at the time. You know, I had a young family. I had set up a team around me so that I could only be working within my unique abilities. So, you know, most of the time, we spend maybe 50% of our work day doing the stuff we're truly good at, love and make a difference when we do. Yeah. Maybe the other 50% is doing all the shit you have to do you feel like you have to do well i had it set up where at least 80 percent of the time i was doing the the stuff that's my unique abilities i was maybe working 35 to 40 hours a week it was a great gig i was getting paid super well we were a highly profitable company but as i mentioned to you like it was getting to the point where our monthly expenses were exceeding mine and phil's net worth
0: so a single month's
1: payroll and
0: expenses it would be like, if my net worth is $10 million, that means this month, Jeremy Scott Fitness is costing me $11 million. Exactly. That would freak me out, like where you wouldn't even understand. That's it, right? And if
1: you aren't a business owner, maybe none of this means anything, but it's just the idea that you don't have any resiliency, right? Um, If something were to go wrong, and that could be a recession, it could be a global pandemic, Pandemic? you know, Um, Phil and I couldn't keep the business alive for very long you know and it would break us to do so that's not a a good position to be in when you have like the global leader in your field running under you yeah Uh, so we needed someone who had the kind of resources we didn't so we started looking for that and our we said this very explicitly we're looking for a like-minded deep-pocketed financial partner right specifically those things and as we went through the search, we found a company, a private equity company that wanted to own most of the company it wants to own all of it eventually. And that's part of the plan. And, um, we were like, okay, cool. So the pros are not only will Phil and I be wealthy, you know, we ended up selling the company for close to $200 million, um, 200, but, 200 million. Yeah. I'm just going to repeat it cause it still freaks me <laughs> out. Okay. Continue. Um, and the, um, but the company will be flush with cash. I mean, the first thing that happens when you sell to a $5 billion private equity company is that all the money you hold in reserve each year, just in case there's a rainy day, you can spend it, right? Pretty so sweet. We, I mean, we were holding on to $10 million a year just in case. Uh, what could you do if you had that money fully free? Like This company doesn't even have to infuse any cash. Just them sitting there. Being the owners and having five billion to back them allows you to not save your rainy day money. You can spend it. So now all of a sudden PN has a $10 million spending budget increase That's crazy. on the next day. So now the company can do the big projects that we couldn't do in the past or that would have taken us 10 years to do in the past. So there's all these advantages for the company and for us individually. And so it made sense to do. Although it wasn't an easy decision. You know, I mentioned to you like on Friday uh, and we sold on a Monday and it takes a year and a half to get these things. So this, this wasn't like uh, just a regular Friday, or regular Monday. This was like Friday. That's the Friday. That's been a year and a half in the making. Uh, Phil called me. He's like, I don't know if I want to do this, man. You know, because we, again, we have a great business. We have a great income. We love what we're doing, right? When it's, you create it from nothing. Yeah. Like it's like a kid. And And part of that, like you emphasizing that, is a great thing to emphasize because through most of this process, I was just like, I don't get it. Why do these quote unquote serious businessmen want to buy this business that is literally engineered perfectly for my own individual life, right? Like I started online coaching and, uh, distance based certification because when I was coming up in the industry, there were big quote unquote influencers like Charles Poliquin and Paul check and Ian King who I watched travel around the globe. They were gone 48 out of 52 weeks a year from home. Yep. Um, traveling, speaking to audiences of 40, 50, hundred, maybe 400 if they're lucky people. And this was the life. This was the life you had to live if you wanted to be an educator in health, fitness, strength, whatever. And I didn't have it in me. I'm far too introverted for that. I don't like to travel that much. I did have a vision of having a family at some point. And a lot of the speakers on the circuit were estranged from one or two families. You know, like they wanted to have a pseudo normal life and try and fit in the context of a non-normal.
0: It's like a carnival life. It It really is. Or it used to be anyway. Yeah.
1: And so I was like, okay, cool. Again, is there a way for us to do this, but better? That was the question we always just asked. Is there a way to do the thing that looks like the, the pinnacle? Yeah. You know, like of coaching or of, you know, educating, but do it better because we have a tool they didn't have the Internet. Right. So wait, is there a way to educate not 40 trainers at a time, but 4,000 or 40,000? What would that look like? What would we have to create? How would we have to market? How would we have to create a product and deliver it? How would we have to bind people to this community, quote unquote, that we're building without being in person? Can we do that? Can we do it better? And there's obviously pros and cons to that, right? Like one pro of trying it that way is I could set up a video camera in a space local to me. I can record hours of content in a weekend. And then I can stream it out to the world. And again, these concepts are so embedded in how we create content nowadays but they weren't no 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 one was doing this right so that was that was our big advantage at the time our unique selling feature and big advantage was man those guys are out there and in i can reach more people in a day than they can in 48 weeks of travel you know and i need to build a big newsletter list right nowadays maybe not so much maybe you get instagram
0: followers or whatever the list the list still is i'll go to the pet Rigsby like The money's in the list. Yeah. Like, I'll say this. The interaction, people have now used Instagram DMs as like the pseudo email because I spend about an hour a day on there. However, if Instagram tells me I suck tomorrow or wants to disappear yeah then you lose it, yeah so the list is still there, but yeah I get what you're saying. It's not quite as yeah powerful as it used to be yeah and and I've just
1: seen deliverability rates go way down with email I mean
0: there, there do you remember t- your first list ever
1: yeah oh yeah like what what was like the open rates yeah the johnbardie dot com website, and this is when we knew we were going to do a business together, Phil and I we started this website as a little hobby fun project on the side, and our list grew to thirty thousand, and that's when someone told us like. What are you guys going to do when you get out of school? And I was like, Well, uh, Phil had just gotten offered a full time job at IBM. I had just gotten offered a full time job at Muscle Tech, and when they were the oh, yeah. key company in the world, and um, hit everybody. Yeah, they did. Jay Dex, yeah. you name it. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I was going to be their director of research. That's what they offered. That's a position they offered me. And so we were talking to some friends who were smart, and we were just like, Hey, this is what I think we're going to do because. You know, back then we were like, I, I don't think you can make any money on the internet, you know? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, well, how many people are on your mailing list? Well, we got about 30,000 people who subscribe to our newsletter. What year is this? This is like 03 or something. That's
0: fucking insane. And dude.
1: he was like, stop the press. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that is an audience. Like, do you know how many people like name any store in your local town? how many people would be a good mailing list for them to have a good business? Like a thousand, you know what I mean? You you have 30,000 people come up with a product, try and sell it to them and see what happens. And that was really what started PN. We created this system, the precision nutrition system. It was a binder of various modules of, you know, healthy eating and some video and some audio that went along with it. And we launched it and we sold a thousand units at a hundred bucks a pop. That was our first product. So we were like, kaboom. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, people say $100,000 a year is a good living. And we just sold $100,000 in product in three days. That's so crazy. All right. Um, So, you know, back to the point of the story I was telling, it was just, you know, there was, um, you know, this sense that I could reach. I mean, at the peak, we had a million people on the mailing list. Right. So I could reach a million people today like I could just be like on your email list I have something to say
0: I can't even imagine bro
1: and I want to and and I think it's coherent and clear and helpful and value adding yeah and I can send it to a million people right now right it's insane um I and this was one of the things that was difficult when I walked away from PN like I had a support team around me that allowed me to do all my unique ability stuff and I had a really big megaphone you know so if I had a message to get out yeah I had that big megaphone. So when I walked away, I knew I'd be giving that up. I knew I'd be giving that up, but I didn't feel giving that up. And it was maybe like two years later. I'm like, Oh, I don't have that anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I want to do something, I have to do it all myself. And uh, I have to tell it to a small group of people,
0: you know, which is crazy, but you still, you still can reach a lot of people. It's just different. Yeah, it's, it is fully. Yeah. Uh, cause you don't like live like we do on these apps and these platforms. Like we, yeah. we live on these every mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Like it's a huge part. Like I don't love social media. I mean, I'm very thankful for it. It's not my yeah, personality it's, type. It's a useful tool. Yeah. But it's to spend an hour a day just going through messages and things. And I can talk to hundreds of thousands of people in two yeah. seconds, which is super cool but I have to do it all the time to right. keep that audience there. Yeah. And yeah. And then that's the difference, right? With a list you could, and and you should
1: leave them alone for a little bit, Yeah, you know what I mean? So that when you come, they're like, oh, I haven't heard from JB in a while. Yeah, What's he got to say today? Whereas with social, like if you take a week off, then you don't get to talk to anyone.
0: Yeah. It's like, uh, well, you're like buying real estate in yeah. people's brains, yeah. but you have to do it all the time. Yeah. So you sell it, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Are you? How does it change your life? Mm-hmm. Like the next week, the next month? Is mm-hmm. it? What I mean, I guess, I'm, what I'm driving is like: Are you way happier? Yeah. Is anything drastically shift in your your day to day? Well. Um, right away, anyway.
1: I think I think uh, trying to change your life right away after a big windfall financial event like this is always a mistake. I got this advice from a lot of people. That uh, people people were like, okay, here's what you cannot do: buy a Ferrari. Yeah, don't buy a jet. <laughs> Don't get a divorce. They had like a list of these kind of things that yeah. will quickly uh, decrease your satisfaction and also decrease your net worth quite rapidly. Yeah. Um, but the thing is also like, you can't walk away from a company, like the private equity partners are going to be like, okay, right off into the sunset. I hope you enjoy the beach you're going to go live on. Because like, you're such you have a You to transition huge, the company. You're a
0: huge part of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So in my mind, it's a two-year transition, right? And also the Changemaker book, was a book I was already noodling on. So it was like, oh, I'm going to go write this book too. So if you imagine like uh, trend lines on a graph, right? So um, the next month after we sell, I'm still pretty much doing the same thing I was at PN. You know, and you imagine a two-year trend line down to zero. So gradual. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to help put in a new executive team. You mentioned Adam Campbell earlier, so oh, yeah. he was who I really wanted to work with to Adam's the best, run by the editorial. Way. He's yeah. awesome. He's amazing. Um, and because I ran editorial at PN before that, okay. And so I was like, I I need someone who can come in and do this job. Uh, so Adam. Because he
0: had just left. Men's, perfect time. Men's health. I mean rodale went to hearst yeah he bounced yeah exactly i mean it crazy. wasn't great
1: timing for him to lose his job or whatever but it was no. perfect timing for me because he was available on the market and under a host of any other conditions he's not no. right he's not available that's crazy um, and uh so you know basically it's that kind of work so finding people to replace the different accountabilities i had within the company and just transition the company get it into a place where it can continue to grow with zero input from me um and then uh imagine like writing my book was down around one percent or whatever and that's going to climb over the next two years okay. Right, so i'm going to work on writing that book uh and the book for me was kind of like i don't know if i'll what i'll do or if i'll do anything in health and fitness after this um so this is like my parting gift i want to capture everything that i think i learned over my many years in the field um put it into a book uh and say thank you. Like, thank you, industry, for giving me beyond my wildest dreams of uh, credibility and accomplishment and relationships and money and all the things. You know what I mean? Like, uh, for a kid from an immigrant family who was like, you know, hey, if I make a blue-collar living eventually and not end up in jail or dead, that would be awesome. Yeah. You know, to have, like, global recognition and lots of money. Like, all of it's just, like, so far beyond any expectation I ever had. Um, it just felt like this massive gift. And so then I was like, I'd like to just teach people what happened to me and what I think I learned and what, how they might benefit from it. So I wanted to put that in the book, you know? So the next two years was hard work writing this book and I was probably busier for the next two years after. That we bought a cottage <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. we're like hey well let's buy a cottage on the water so we can go hang out there in the summers but that was the only substantial change i actually was working more for the next two years and then when the book came out and pn was transitioned during that two years i thought a lot about okay what's the next act look like and for me it was spending time with our kids you know as i mentioned
0: and that, I mean, that was never the goal that's what i'm driving like it was never the goal like no. you didn't start out and be like hey you know what I'm going to get into fitness. I'm going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like when you say it, it sounds dumb. And yeah. I always tell people, I go, if I had done anything else, and this is what I love more than anything. Like I don't love real estate. Yeah. I, I like finance, like, cause it parallels yeah. fitness in a lot of ways for me, but I don't think I could geek out on enough to, to die right. for it. And if I did any other field, I'd have 10 times as much money. Yeah. But would I though? Cause I don't know if I'd love it enough yeah. to push through. And that's, you just liked the work
1: fully. I mean, yeah. I mean, there I had no business training none of that and also yeah there wasn't this like grand end game i'm going to build a thing to flip you know um again still like if if something happened and i like some kind i fell into a time vortex and went back some number of years and I got stuck in pn pre-sale and it never sold life would be great right now still yeah you know it would be, it would be good I mean, I was making a few hundred thousand dollars a year and we had a business that was worth a lot of money and we were doing fun work and we were helping a lot. It was great. You know, so there's the, the plan B, not selling the company, is awesome too, yeah. you know. Um, so this, this was just one of those things where when we even pursued this, we thought we'd just get an investor, not sell the company. Like someone would infuse some money into the company for initiatives. I wouldn't get paid. Phil wouldn't get paid. Yeah. But just the company would be safe, you know? And then it just turned out to this because we, we don't know anything. So we're like, well, let's go down the path and learn what a transaction process is, like a company acquisition is. Yeah. Learned a ton in the process. Got a great education. Got paid well to get the education. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was phenomenal. But no. Um, now, I mean... There are people whose jobs that is. They study how to create businesses to sell. And that's cool. It's a full different animal, though. Yeah. Like, don't emulate me if that's your goal. You 100%. Know what I mean? Yeah. Don't set up a business fully centered around your unique personality, your desire not to travel, your desire to want to do things on the internet so you can stay home and be with the people you care about and you can not interrupt your training. You know what I mean? That was part of it, too. I just I like working out. I don't like missing workouts. On the road, I would miss workouts. So can I create a business that's wildly successful, better than what anyone else is doing, that allows me to stay home, get my workouts, be around my family, not have to inter- interact with people too much because that stresses me out? Um, okay, cool. And so we'll create that. So really, in my mind, that's, I'm in this for life because who else is going to want to run a business that's catered to my own foibles and
0: uniqueness and all that? I'm familiar, yeah. Yeah, It's <laughs> yeah, what I do every day. I'm like exactly. the only reason that there's any success is because this is a I, this entire ecosystem. I created it. Yeah. So I can train when I want, sleep when yeah. I want, do everything when I want. I go. I always tell everyone else, I go. You do not want to do what I do. Yeah. It's miserable. You would hate it because it's not who you are. Yeah. Yours is the same way. Exactly. It just worked out.
1: Yeah, and, and 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 I realized quickly though when people see highly profitable businesses, it doesn't matter how weird they are. Yep. They it's just so money you know for investors they need their money in a place that is likely to grow that's it period like is, is it weird so what we'll deal with the weirdness you know so that that's it no end game there you know and uh i think there's i mean i mentioned my mentor and he gave me a lot of you know whatever self-help stuff you know so i came up when i was like 19 on like Norman Vincent Peale and Stephen Covey and uh, Dale Carnegie and Tony Robbins. And this guy was just filling my brain with that type of motivational speaker.
0: Yeah,
1: And I, I got so much good stuff out of that, right? Um, I think, though, unchecked, all the assumptions of what they teach unchecked can run a little wild. It can create these, like, um, goals machines. You know what I mean? Yeah. Human as goals machine. Um, and so for me, like, I i'm really lucky in that i consistently found a way to balance like really being present in the work and thinking about like what it could become you know we even did this exercise at pn and we've done it for years now the looking back looking ahead exercise where we do with the whole team where you'd sit there and go okay cool so over the last six months what are you most proud of having accomplished right and so few people do it right and it feels annoying. And I, we would always get eye rolls when we would do it, right? Yeah. And then you talk about today, the thing that you're working on. What are you most excited about? And then in the future, you know, what are you most looking forward to? And we would write them down and we'd do a share out loud type of thing. And forcing ourselves to do that reminded me of this thing Dan Sullivan talks about, who's a big entrepreneur coach, like the moving horizon, the idea that as you try and catch up to the horizon, you never do because it's always off in the distance. And you, if you do that, you never mark progress along the way. You think you still suck. You think you still have so much further to go. You know, when you have done in the last six months things that you could never imagined 12 months prior For having sure. accomplished. So it, it's really like sitting in that space where you can fully appreciate the progress you've made. Like you make an intentional act of appreciating the progress that you've made and live in the work that you're doing presently and also make space for what you want to do next. We and always I think it's a, a balancing act that's super important. And if you don't do it intentionally, you will either live in the past or live in the future. And if you live in the future, then you have no ability to congratulate yourself or even and here's a real tangible example. I remember sitting down at a planning meeting, I don't know, in the early two tens, And we were talking about a plan to 10x our business, right? And we're all sitting there like acting like it's an impossible feat, right? Like, oh, 10x your business, such a grand goal, you know, such a big stretch goal, you know? Um, And then I remember about like 25% into that conversation, it occurred to me that we'd already done it two times. Which is crazy. We started a business from nothing and yeah. we 10x'd it twice. So we're sitting here acting like it's an impossible goal to shoot for, not realizing we've already Darn. 10x'd 2 times. That's crazy. So we can actually rely on the confidence and skills and knowledge that we've already done a thing to go to the next thing. And it was such an aha moment for me because I'm not in a room of dumb people at that point. I'm in a room with really smart, talented, accomplished people. And their blind spot is forgetting the past. Like forgetting to count up their successes and wins as a tangible tool to move into the future, you know?
0: Well, it's like we say auditing here. Mm-hmm. You audit the things that you've done and the the cycle. And we see this in fitness too with people who are trying to lose, let's yeah. say, 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. They're, I'll be happy when. Yeah. I'll be happy when I lose 100 pounds. Well, mm-hmm. We've already lost 50. Yeah. And you can appreciate how far you've come already and like it's only 50 more, but yet they can't, they have a hard time celebrating mm-hmm. as they go along the way. And we kind of phrase it like, you get so busy working in your life, you yeah. can't really work on yeah. your life. Yeah. But it's tough. And these are all like intellectual exercises.
1: And I think uh, there've been these moments of like feeling them in my bones. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things you know. And then there's certain things like intellectually, and then there's certain things that you finally feel in your bones. You know, oh, that's what people have been talking about all this time. But it was just nothing more than a cliche before I felt it. And that's why what I do in Changemaker, as you know, is I create all these exercises for people to do. It's like it's a book, but it's a workbook. It's great. Because I want people to go through it and feel the things in their bones because that's when... Whatever meaningful change comes out of it or new insight or a new path forward, you know? So that was that was
0: really um the big one for me, you know. No, in the book, I'm gonna to touch on it in a second, but I can't forget this before I go. You've worked with some pretty awesome folks along the way. Um, just because I'm an MMA fan. hmm GSP. Yeah. You've worked with George St. Pierre. hmm. How was that? Awesome. He's, He's a freak. He's one of my favorite athletes
1: I've ever worked with, yeah. you know, if, if not number one, then certainly not far from it. Um, we met for the first time in Vegas. I, Phil and I were going down to visit a good friend of ours who lives down there, and uh, George just happened to be fighting that weekend. It was his second fight with BJ Penn. I don't know how closely you follow oh, yeah. MMA. Oh, yeah, dude, my whole life. Um, yeah. And uh, so John Chamber was his strength coach at the time, and Faraz was his striking coach. Yeah. And uh, John and Faraz had followed me which I didn't know. And I think I posted on social maybe that I was in Vegas. And I think John reached out and said, Hey, um, I saw that you're in Vegas. You want to come to the fight? And I was a fan. Like I, MMA is really kind of the only sport that I fan out about yeah. historically. Same, here. you know, like I, I'd, I'd worked in a bunch of other sports and I played sports competitive. So I was just like, "Nah, eh, none of the NFL players are my heroes or anything like that. But I, there was something about MMA where I, I really was kind of into it. You know, not goofy fan, but yeah. um, so I was like, whoa, this is freaking awesome, right? And they're like, actually, why don't you come tonight and have dinner with us? We'd like you to meet George. So I end up at this hotel having dinner with George, meeting him for the first time, and then we get to go watch from the friends and family seats, the fight the next day. That's crazy, dude. Awesome. And at dinner, because um, they are all French-Canadian, yeah. they, they were speaking French, and i know enough to understand that they were like talking about whether they should work with me right so you know george do you like this guy do you think he's somebody we work with whatever and i was like oh this is freaking awesome right? <laughs> that's badass so then we worked together for like six years basically till the end of his career and he's just um he's just so committed to the process of excellence and building skill and beginner's mind and that and he talks about this. It probably wasn't present early in his career, but then when he lost to Matt Serra, which was like one th- of the biggest shock upsets of all time, yeah, yeah, um, it really changed his camp. It changed his mindset, uh, for better or worse, really. Because for better, it made him like a great coachable person. It made him a student of the game. It made him, you know, fully living in beginner's mind kind of place, uh, and it made him one of the greatest fighters of all time. Um, it did also make him obsessed, right? Like he talks about some of this, you know, we talked about the Last Dance documentary, And right? Jordan, yeah. And Michael Jordan and some of these, like, you know, legacy kind of athletes who have something that's bittersweet in them, you know what I mean? And and in the right context, sweet, and in most other contexts, bitter. You it's know? a curse, yeah. Yeah, and so, but I mean, working with George was always a pleasure. And, I, and at this point in my career, I had this thing where anytime I work with athletes, I never charge them because it wasn't my core business, right? And it flipped the dynamic, right? If I charge them, then I work for them. Then I'm on call. Then when they call me, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. They're paying me, so I got to help them. Yeah. When I do it for free, they call me apologetically. Dr. Barati, I'm sorry to bother you. Is this a good time? You know what I mean? I'm also like the only person in their entourage whose hand isn't out, who isn't taking money from them, yeah. right? Which is a real thing when you're at that level of success, oh yeah, like you're a little scared about all the people around you or entourages taking advantage, you know, even coaches like, you know, am am I paying this guy too much? Because once you train that level of athlete, you charge Mm -hmm. him a little more so that you don't have to take 10 lower tier athletes who may compete with them one day. Right. So I was like, so our relationship was really cool and opportunities would come up and he would just call me about them. You know, it was, it was neat. Like, um, I remember one time the Spurs, who we worked with, were coming into town. This was the year after they won the, the NBA championship. Yeah. And uh, they called me, and they were coming to Toronto, which uh, is, you know, I'm in Ontario most of the year. And they were like, hey, can you get George St. Pierre to, like, can you and George come talk to the athletes this weekend? And I was like, well, I don't carry George in my pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't live in Toronto. Yeah, he doesn't stay at my house <laughs> right here. Exactly. Yeah. But I dropped him a line, and he's like, that'd be great. So he flew down from Montreal and we hung out with the athletes and we gave them a little talk, you know, and, and so cool things like that came up over the years. He put together a, um, an app a few years ago, uh, rush fit. And oh, yeah. so, uh, I did all the nutrition video content for that and stuff like that. So uh, great for my career, first of all, but just a fantastic person to work with. I, I mean, he was just so fun to work with. So unassuming, Yeah, you know, I, I never
0: had a, Negative interaction with them. Yeah, he seems like when you watch, and I've watched MMA my whole life from like super early on when it's like, Hoys is fighting five fights in one night. Uh, He's a martial artist. Where some Mm. of the dudes like to just fight. Yeah. When you watch him, it's like I don't know if he loves to fight. Mm -hmm. Like he loves martial arts. Where some dudes just want to just beat the shit out of each other. And it was always awesome just to watch him and just how the regiment like when they do the behind the scenes it's yeah. like his diet his training it's like it's oh, yeah. your whole life and like the obsessiveness obviously i'm sure for them is a curse but it's so cool to watch and then you get this first hand take of oh, it yeah for years like in his prime prime yeah totally yeah it was and i mean
1: there's uh i mean one day uh i took my wife amanda we were pregnant with our first child to watch him fight uh dan what's his last name uh the british dude uh, he's an announcer now. Oh, um, um, Michael Bisping. No, Dan Hardy.
0: That's oh, it. I remember. He had read a uh, red yes. mohawk. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And they were fighting in Montreal. So uh, George sent us some tickets and Amanda and I went up. And afterwards, like everyone kind of wait, like friends and family wait in this room for him to get done with his media obligations. So you can go out and have a party. Right. Yeah. Um. So he fought Dan. He won. Every minute of five rounds, but it went to decision. And there were a couple opportunities he had to submit him during the fight. And uh, he couldn't finish like an arm bar and whatever. Um, and uh, he took forever to get to the, like, it's, you know, the the main event ends at midnight Eastern time or something, right? So we're sitting in this room and it's like one, it's like one George still isn't there. You know, we're all getting like super tired. Um, and so maybe one forty-five he comes in. And uh, so after the fight, he was so mad about not finishing Hardy that him and his grappling coaches spent an hour working on finishing arm bars. After
0: you just fought a five-round main event? Yeah,
1: it's one in the morning. He just fought a five-round main event. Like, this guy is super mad that he doesn't have that level of mastery yet and he's going to go work on it, you know? It's uh, – I don't know. I don't want to put any value judgment on it, but it's just –
0: uh, a great example of who George was as an athlete. Yeah, that's, I mean, but that's why they are transcendent. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're in the goat conversation, like you're the greatest of all time, like, mm-hmm. and he's in there, Yeah, which is crazy. God's nuts, dude. So if I move and change stories here, um, and I'm going to tell this real quick just because I first found you in like 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I stumbled onto this website called T Nation, which mm-hmm. now in fitness is obviously super popular. But you wrote this thing called the Get Shredded Diet. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you said you said this. You do it for you used to do it for two reasons. Well, I'll go into detail. But you said to remember what it's like for yourself. Yeah, and remember what it's like for your clients. Mm-hmm. And. I'll share a quick BJ Gadoor story. Him and I spoke at an event that David Jack put on for fitness professionals. And uh, I speak freely, but I tend to do it with, like, padded gloves because I still work with humans. BJ does not anymore. (laughs) And uh, I remember him being there, and he's just talking to all these fitness pros. Some fit, some not fit. And there's all different levels of fitness. I don't think you have to be shredded to be a great coach by any means. But there's a certain level of, obviously, fitness. And he's just, you know, speaking. He's like, some of you guys look like you never fucking work out. And he's just so you know, deliberate about it. And I love him for that. And it's true. But I do think, you know, with saying you don't have to be super shredded, Mm -hmm. there is something to be said about a leading from the front. And that's why I gravitate when I'm reading this, I'm a young kid, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, this dude says to get shredded. I'm like, this is what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. But it puts you in the place for those guys. So when you're giving someone a prescription, or you're walking them through how to eat, you know, how painful it -hmm. is to go from 10% to 9% to 8% to 6 yeah. because with every percentage it takes something from your life. Yeah. And I read that and I'm like I'll never forget it. Yeah. And that was you wrote that in 06. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Why you put that out because you were going through it yourself at that time or you had already went through it mm-hmm. and you just wanted to share with people like Yeah, I think uh, I think uh if
1: I remember the context, Amanda, my wife and I had just done it. Right. So I'm always at that point looking for systems and processes that can make things better or simpler, you know, more straightforward for people. You know, I don't know that I ever like invented anything new, but I think maybe what I did was be able to explain it in a way that a lot of people could get and go do. And so, uh, Amanda, we, Amanda and I were living in Toronto. We just got our first place together. And, um, we went through that exact process and it's hilarious that you bring this up because last week someone talked to me about the get shredded diet. No shit. So Molly Galbraith a good friend of mine yeah. lives down here. Her and her partner, Casey are part of our family. They, they lived with us for three months. The first two years we came down here to Scottsdale. They, oh, wow. they you know, they're that close with us. So Molly was getting in the industry around the same time and her partner. So, uh, her boyfriend, um, was like, hey, you know, she wanted to do fitness competition. So he's like, I got this really cutting edge new thing I made up just for you. So he gives her this you know, eating plan that's going to help her get shredded for her show. And so she's going through it and stuff, right? And um, it was it was the get shredded diet exactly. Like nice. pulled exactly off the website. But the reason it came up and the reason it was funny, she's like, um, I just shared an example, the exact foods I ate. On the, it, this wasn't a prescription. It was just like, well, here's, the, here's the principles and here's what I did specifically. Yeah. Right. And so, in like two of the meals, there was like two ounces of Havarti cheese. Right. Yeah. And so, Molly was like, uh, I don't like Havarti. Can I like substitute it with cheddar or whatever? And he's like, No, you have to do Havarti <laughs> cheese. There's something special about the Havarti. Right. So, years co- go by. And so, Molly puts it all together. We become friends and she asked me, like, Havarti, Tell me about Havarti cheese. And she brings this up out of nowhere, right? Yeah. So I'm like, what are you even talking about? She's like, get shredded diet. There was two ounces of Havarti cheese during these two meals. What was up with that? And I'm like, I like Havarti, Havarti cheese. <laughs> That's She's crazy. like, oh, damn it. I ate so much Havarti cheese getting ready for my fitness show. Cause they told me there was something magical about it, so anyway, yeah, Amanda and I had just done the process ourselves, so I documented it with photos and skinfold measures and all that, and then I and then I published it on the on the T Nation site, and uh, we had we had done it not for competition or anything like that, but just because again I I wanted to go through this process like you know once every couple of years myself, you know, as like a reminder. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I stay like. I'm almost 50 now. I stay in pretty good shape year round. I you're have. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- for me, it was just, yeah, it was just that. I'm like, maybe once every two, three years get super lean, you know? And um, I did really lean into the, the fact that it was, I posted about this on social the other day is a much softer kind of approach to it. But it's just this idea, like, do you remember what it's like to be a beginner if you're a doctor, If you're a lawyer if you're a coach of any kind if you're further along the path and people come to your for you for advice when's the last time you've done an intentional reality check to remember what it's like to be in their shoes in the beginning because if you haven't you forget a ton of stuff you forget what the mindset's like you forget what it feels like you forget the problems you'll encounter you know like so there has to be some if you're gonna set yourself up as a coach of any kind There has to be some way for you to remember. You know what I mean? If you don't, you're just too far along the path. I remember uh, in the early days of the johnbrotty.com website, a girl that I was dating at a time wrote this article for it, right? And she wasn't an expert of any kind. But she wrote this fantastic article uh, on food and eating that was so perfect because she was in the beginner mindset, right? And she just captured what that was like. And I couldn't have done it because I like the little nuances of being a beginner, I had long forgotten. And I think it's generally, I mean, I hate to paint the broad problems. It's a problem with the fitness industry, whatever. It, it's actually a problem with being a human being. The fact that when you're far along the path, you have credibility and expertise and skills and all these wonderful things. But what you no longer have is a, a immediate direct line to beginnerness, unless you do something
0: intentional to get it. You know? To take you back. Well, yeah. it's how I think of, like, when you go to the grocery store, or at least how I do now. I have conversations when we do, like, we'll go speak to, like, eighteen and group yeah. of people. And I'm always, it baffles me, like, what I show up there with and yeah. then what we talk about. Because right. I remember like... being, like, at their, it's like their Diamond Club Circle. It's like 100 people in the room. And I'm like, who here knows what macros are? Not a hand goes yeah. up. And I'm like, Phew. Fuck, dude! Oh, like yeah. where So I thought about that. I'm like, well, when I go to the grocery store, I just go to like my same four spots, yeah, and I grab the same things. And I forget what it's like to just even go through the aisles yeah. of what like a normal person would do. Yeah. And so that makes a great point, honestly. Well, you,
1: I mean, a good example even of that is like if you never shopped at, let's like, say, a Whole Foods, right? And you oh, shop yeah. at a normal grocery store. You go into Whole Foods, you can't find anything, and you're there for like two hours. I know. And you're like, I'm a pro at grocery shopping. And I can't even find apples in this store. Where are your apples? You know? and, and then you're, like, you're making the wrong path through it. It's, it's a good example. And so it doesn't have to be some epic. You don't have to go on a 12-week you know, uh, hypocaloric diet to try and get yourself back in a beginner mindset. Um, but you have to have something. You have to have some tool to break out of your customary, familiar groove and pattern of life as it is now for you who's far along the path. To get back into that and so uh, people can come up with all kinds of ways to do that you know it could be in a different field starting something new like learn a musical instrument learn a new physical skill that you don't have like jiu-jitsu you know, piano yeah, things like that yeah. yeah go get some coaching but that's not i mean that can be very time consuming and expensive just as a tool to get back to beginner's mindset yeah. but there has to be something that helps you reconnect with that so you know the get shredded diet was and and again i'll put this out there I don't recommend this for people. You know, I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of caveats in the article. I mean, probably more people have asked me about the Get Shredded Diet than anything else I've ever done over the years. Which is um, crazy
0: because it's just the, I mean, the name of it. Like, yeah. we, we put, we do these with these workouts. Like, we name all these workouts. Right, right. Like, it's all made up shit. Yeah. Um, but I just remember, because I'm, you know, at the time, 20, yeah. or am I 21, 22? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be shredded.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like, this I is mean, the thing. After that article, Dave Tate contacted me to get him in shape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, uh, and for those who don't know, Dave Tate is like a legend and icon of the strength industry and the equipment industry. And he's got a lead FTS, which is a big equipment company and education company. So it was just like that thing had such an impact. And still to this day, like, you know, I'm talking to Molly Galbraith of Girls Gone Strong and she's like, randomly tell me about Havarti cheese. So. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. So all caveats in place. Like, I don't think the get shredded diet is a good idea for most people, no. you know, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a tool. And, and it's so interesting again, because it's, I, you, you've gotten in shape many times yourself, you know, yeah. it's not anything radical or revolutionary. It's just good hypocaloric diet practice, you know? And so just cause I'm curious, what's like the leanest you've ever been? Um, like ballpark i mean i competed when i competed in the usa contest in 1995 i was pretty lean but we didn't have like advanced body comp tools so i have no idea yeah i mean my glutes were pretty shredded on stage or whatever you know so it's it's miserable it was lean yeah and 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 if you want (laughs) to talk about the misery i mean i have so many stories about getting in that kind of shape was ridiculous i mean ridiculous i remember i used to have three i was a 20 year old. So I had like three part time jobs. I worked at my cousin's pizza shop, my dad's restaurant, and at a gym. And I remember I would sometimes go to the gym. And I would sit at the break room in the back. And I would just sit there at the little dining table. And uh, an hour would go by me just staring at the wall. Because I was just so low energy. Miserable. And I remember reading cookbooks. That was my hobby during dieting. I would just sit there and read cookbooks and plan for all the foods that I was never going to eat after the show was over. Yep. And I remember there was a female competitive bodybuilder who came into our gym, and her thing was she would go to the bakery and buy all these baked goods when she was dieting and just bring them to the gym and, like, watch us eat them.
0: <laughs> Which is so,
1: <laughs> it's so disordered, but, like, you can you can see the subconscious human um, machinery putting you into the place where that feels like a good idea. She would be like, here, I brought you these muffins and I'm sitting at the front desk or whatever, not dining at the time. And I'd be like, Oh, thank you so much. This is so awesome. Uh, all the guys are going to love them. She's
0: like, Will you eat one right now in front of me. <laughs> Which you is I mean? so crazy. <laughs> but you, you say that, but I've lived through it. Yeah. And I, we used to read, um, you remember animal pack? Yeah. Like, so I'd read like the journey. Yeah. Uh, it's like Frank McGrath and those guys. And it's like, I'm in the life because I initially thought Jeremy Scott Fitness would be, I'm going to wear like, you know, work boots, cut off jean shorts, I'm (laughs) fucking huge. And I work with now 50 year old women a lot of the times. So it didn't work out that way. But I would read that. And then I would go home and be just starving and hating my life. And my bless my wife's heart that she stayed with me through all this bullshit. And I would watch like um, Guy Fury. Mm-hmm. On TV, yeah. Of all the things I was going to eat, yeah. even though I couldn't eat them for yeah, weeks. Yeah, they didn't have Food Network when I was doing
1: this, but I certainly that would have been my same thing. thing. Yeah.
0: It's weird how you cling to that. Yeah. Because
1: you can't have it, mm-hmm. and you just—it's all you want. Totally. Yeah. There's there's so much about the um, like our primal instinctual hormonal triggers that uh, lead to certain behaviors that seem. I mean, they are. It's it's
0: disordered. It's an eating disorder behaviors for sure. You know? It's uh, I I shared the story on here like like twenty times and I'll share it one more time. I remember. Just because how your your brain becomes so detached from what reality is, mm-hmm. I'm backstage um, with Skip Wood and Skip is still in amazing shape. He's probably 45 yeah. now, and we're back there and we're competing, same weight class, everything. And you know you have veins in your ass, yeah. So you start to like that's this is where I'm talking from, and he looks and there's somebody who's like working at the show who takes a bite of an apple and he looks at me and he's dead fucking serious and he's like can you imagine putting that much sugar in your body at <laughs> one time? Right. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. Yeah. And that's where it clicked for me. I go, this is not, yeah, we are in a different ecosystem. That's not healthy.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that I remember that. I mean the, you have to demonize otherwise healthy foods during a contest prep. Yeah. And there has to be like an unpacking process after that where you have to get back to normal. Like, Like psychologically, you have to think an apple is bad for you to get through a contest diet. Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's not good, but that's your brain has to set it up like the foods that are outside this narrow sliver of like green beans and chicken breasts or whatever you have to diet on. um, They become evil in your mind, that's the only way to keep, because otherwise you can justify, well, it's apple, it's healthy, it's not too much sugar, it's yeah. got fiber and vitamins and minerals. Surely I could have that while I'm, you can't, right? Um, so you have to make it bad. And it's hard to recover from that once you made that brain association. And you can see it in a lot of fitness and bodybuilding competitors. I see it more in fitness and figure than in, in men's bodybuilding because there's this um, societal uh, allowance, for men to get really big after contests and gain a lot of weight and uh, I gain a bunch of fat and it to be okay because you're huge, right? And I see it a lot more in women because that societal pressure is in the opposite direction, right? Like, oh, wait,
0: you gained five pounds after your figure cut. Why don't you look like you do when you're in a figure show, right? Well, that's like the problem we run into. Like if we do podcasts with people who compete and then mm-hmm. we'll post it. And then I usually rip some stuff from your guys' Instagrams yeah. and I throw them on there. and Like they don't look like that. And I'm like, yeah. bro you understand how hard that is right. to do when you're like a female for one? I mean, mm-hmm. and I do think for women it is, it's harder. Yeah. There's a toll that it takes on them. And we've had them here where it, because the mindset is I'm only going to eat this for this much time. And then the minute I walk off stage, yeah, fuck it, dude, cheesecake mm-hmm. factory or whatever yeah. their thing is. And it's just like you, they gain 10, 15, 20 pounds yeah. in like two months, Yeah, which for the system is a lot to take on too. Mm-hmm. And you've lived through it. That's why I was just curious. Like, yeah how it was for you? Yeah,
1: I would say the, the non-competing leanest I ever have been was when I did all my uh, intermittent fasting experiments. So for those listening in, I, I wrote a book that I published for free on the internet called Experiments with Intermittent Fasting. Uh, I think that was 2009. So what I did was I spent about a year trying out all these different intermittent fasting protocols and doing blood work and doing cognitive psychological measures and all this kind of stuff, because it was right around the time where people were starting to talk about it. And again, nowadays, everyone's like, well, why'd you write, what, who cares? Like everyone knows about intermittent fasting, but at the time it was uh, considered a stupid thing to do in health and fitness. Cause like,
0: when did you, what is the first, like I think like lean gains maybe I stumbled upon like a long time ago.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think so. Probably Martin site was probably the first one to really like infiltrate the subculture. Yeah. You know, and uh, and still, people were saying he's an idiot and whatever. Um, but it was just so antithetical to the belief system of the time that you had to eat frequently small meals throughout the day. And I had I had talked about that as well. And so I was like, you know what? There seems to be some physiological merit to this, but I'm not going to go talking about it until I try it. Yeah. So I documented everything. Wrote. I, I mean, that book did amazing. I think we had four million people read the thing. Jesus. And um and but at the end of that process i was really lean you know i wasn't like i i was maybe too small to step on a bodybuilding stage but that was also the point i was running track at the time competitively yeah. so i wanted to be lighter and smaller but yeah i mean i uh, my wife had just done a fit a figure show and so i was just like eating with her you know to support it and i'm like well you know what i'm doing intermittent fasting maybe i'll just get super lean during this process as well yeah and so she did a photo shoot after the show and I jumped in on that and I was yeah I mean the the sure. photographer was like that's crazy that you're not competing you're just walking around like that yeah um, but again same thing like you can't you can't do that sustainably you know you, you can't walk around at I don't know maybe it was 5% body fat legitimately um, without you know knock-on effects I mean, I I remember, like, it was getting to the point where all I could do was think about food. Like, I had to concoct ways to distract myself in the course of my normal day from thinking about food constantly, you know? And then in between workouts, I would be so drained of energy, I'd just be, like, laying on the couch full time. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, can I work from the prone
0: position on my couch? Just dying. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a there's we've done a podcast on it um we've done a handful of them for sure and I played off of the pn article um the cost of being lean yeah and I walked through my own stuff because there's this real point of diminishing returns yeah where for me to be this every day is fine I'm yeah. naturally an ectomorph I have to lift heavier yeah. to keep the tissue and so single digits I can live in yeah. I go but there comes a point where it takes it strips everything away from me yeah. and now my performance sucks I have brain fog or whatever. And I just don't give a shit about anything because mm. I'm so hungry all the time. Yeah, That's not a healthy place to be in. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, I don't want to go down the social media rabbit hole, but since I'm on it, fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Like we, as an industry sometimes, or profession, I guess, we, you do people a disservice because mm-hmm. we're showing them all these things. And I'm yeah. the first person to say, I'm like, what I do is not real or normal yeah. and it's not for you. Like when we go to Men's Health or something, like we take off our clothes for money. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah. If you work at the bank, you probably don't have to live in this every day. Yeah, totally. And for you, like, there's a line where everybody draws. But when you do get down, the lower you get, yeah, it gets rough, man.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, and for those people working on it right now, like, it's it's why coaching's so important. Like, it's it. I mean, uh, not trying to sell coaching here, but the fact is, if you haven't gone through this, um. I, like I didn't go through it alone. You know what I mean? Like I didn't learn to do this on my own. I had like a support structure around me for better or worse. Sometimes they were better or sometimes they were worse, yeah. you know, but, um, but folks nowadays, I think the, the internet scenario has put you in a position where you're going to go through this alone. Like you have this great, you know, Jeremy Scott, who I follow and he's, you know, putting out good information and I'm going to do it by myself though. I don't know anyone who's trying this. I don't have any coaches in my immediate ecosystem it's really hard it's really hard because you can get lost like mentally emotionally and physically right for sure so you know let's say you want to eat a hypocaloric diet to lose some weight or whatever improve your blood markers and um and then you start coming up against these signs and symptoms right so then what do you abandon the project no like There's knowledge about how far you go, how long you live in that discomfort, how to come out of it safely and effectively, how to go back into it when you need to. This is all stuff that coaches know that you can't possibly, you know? And so there was this movement for a while, like Tim Ferriss talked about a lot, the self experiment movement, you know? And, um, and I was like, there's something cool and empowering about it, but there's something wrong with it people don't need self-experimentation. They need guided experimentation, like guided self-experimentation. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, because you're like, number one, most of them aren't scientists. Like, and I don't mean work professionally in the field of research. Yeah. I mean, understand how controlling variables works and how superstitions can come up if you don't understand what the relevant variables are. Yeah. Right? Um, and also, even if you are a scientist, it's hard to be super objective and scientific on yourself, you know? Um, So it's, uh, you know, uh, some of our stories here about like losing fat and getting crazy and, you know, seductively eating muffins in front of bodybuilding competitors are really just to highlight. There's like, there's like this deep iceberg below the surface that like someone has to help you navigate, you know?
0: Well, it's weird because it's, to me, it's one of the hardest things you do. Um, I would argue like, getting that lean and, and being that lean and living mm-hmm. there is harder than making a million dollars mm-hmm. because there's, if you just go off shift sheer numbers of people, yeah. there's far less people who have done it. And you look at the other things in your life. Like if you, if you have a, a CPA, mm-hmm. if you have a financial advisor, if you have an attorney, these are all coaches in a, yeah. in a way that guide you. Yeah. You're going to try to do this super hard thing solo, right? It's just in, for us, like we happen to be surrounded with other savages who are equally as crazy. Yeah. So we can all kind of, beg, borrow, and yeah. steal, and share our, our best practices and get there. Yeah. But for a normal person seeing it, that's why I always ask people who have done it because it's not, a, it's not an easy yeah. journey. And, you know, there's this
1: other thing I, I, I want to unpack, too. We mentioned earlier, you know, even with the get shredded thing, you know, I, I've been really kicking around this idea a lot lately. You know, I think for a long time, again, intellectually, you know, I felt like uh, maybe fitness leaders – Put a little bit too much stock in having done it yourself. You know, are you lean? If you're not, then does that say something about how you could be as a coach? You know what I mean? And where I keep landing is at this place where you being in shape and fit yourself is like a circle of activities, right? Yep. And you being a great coach is a fully independent circle of activities. Yes. And in our field too often, either because how we came up or how we were influenced, We see them, I mean, some people so erroneously see them as the same circle. Others see there as a pretty good overlap in that Venn diagram, right? As if they are really relying on each other, you know? And um, I keep wondering, like, I don't know that I have the answer yet, but I keep landing on this place. I feel like they're fully independent. Like your hobby to want to be in shape, and mine and everyone else's, is fully independent from our profession as a coach. Yes. Now, very much like I could use my weightlifting and bodybuilding experience to go do good at school, right? Yeah. Um, you wouldn't go tell someone, well, to be a good student, you need to be a bodybuilder. I mean, You'd yeah. be totally asinine, yeah, right? I agree. Um, it's just the tools from that circle that I brought into this circle, right? So, um, you know, and I bring it up because we, you know, I don't wanna too Strenuously lionize that idea from the get shredded diet, where hey, to be able to help others, you need to get lean yourself. No, you it's know? more of a empathy mm-hmm. standpoint. Yeah, yeah that to was, relate. Yeah, that was really it for me. But this idea, I think, I don't, I don't know how we help people unpack it because I know if I were to put out a post on social media, you know, s- dancing around these ideas, there would be a, a not small contingent of people who firmly and entrenched way believe that. You shouldn't coach unless you've been able to do that kind of stuff with your own body yourself, you know. And um and I'm like, I think I used to believe that. Even when I said I didn't believe it, I think some part of me believed it was like, but, but, yeah. but, but,
0: you know. It's so. It's like well, it's nuanced, right? And the context matters. So if I'm gonna go to a strength coach, mm-hmm. I'd like him to be strong. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have to be the strongest guy today, but Mm -hmm. like to have kind of went through the trenches, it's relatable, Mm -hmm. but that's not applicable to every other thing in fitness. Mm -hmm. It's just that singular thing. Yeah. If you're 400 pounds and tell me how to get to 5% body fat, I'm not saying you can't do it. Yeah, There is some, a connection there. Now it doesn't Mm. mean you have to live there all the time forever. Right. I am saying just like maybe having done it once or been around and understanding of it, but each thing is so nuanced. It's hard. It's true. Yeah. I remember, you know, like when, uh, when I used to go to
1: York University track to work out, Charlie Francis used to coach his athletes there. It's an indoor track in North Toronto. And, you know, Charlie's middle-aged. He's passed now, but uh, he's a world-famous track and field coach. Uh, Charlie would be drinking Coca-Colas and eating Snickers bars, and he'd have a big gut. And, you know, he's a big gutted white guy eating junk food, teaching track, track athletes how to run fast. Um But no one would be like, Charlie is unqualified to coach track, right? Yeah. So, but why wouldn't they say that? Well, because they know some history. They know the nuance and all that kind of stuff, you know? So it's, I, I find it really interesting, right? Because we give some people a pass if certain conditions are met and other people get no pass if other conditions aren't met and, uh. Uh, maybe we should lean towards the pass rather than the not pass because that's where people in fitness lean towards you don't get a pass if you don't look the way I expect you to look then I think you're a piece of shit and you shouldn't be doing what you do you know it is no pass unless I know something special and how could you possibly know that about everyone
0: you know well you can't unless you have this huge body of work you can go to and I'll use an example and I could be wrong here but you know Charles Staley Mm -hmm. yeah trains right here okay literally right next door yeah Uh, I know Charles like Super strong. Yeah. For I don't know how old he is, but he's yeah. getting up there. Strong as shit. Yeah. But if he was just to walk in here, yeah. No one will listen to him. Hmm. But if I walk in here with no shirt on, I'm a fucking genius. Yeah. Even though Charles has forgotten more about Olympic lifting than yeah. I'm ever going to learn. Yeah. And that's the point you're making, mm-hmm. where it's like, but if you knew him, how I knew him, yeah, you'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll listen to him about deadlifting. Uh huh. Or cleans and jerks because this is what he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Hmm and the internet i think has just made that a worse yeah a worse picture but uh it's it's weird to think about cuz most of the people that i listen to or gravitate towards I'm probably in better shape than them mm-hmm. yet. Those are the people that I will message for Now, Not that they're in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Like I'll text David Jack. Mm-hmm. He knows more shit than I do. It's mm-hmm. just the case. Like if I got a food question, I mean, I might text, you No, mm-hmm. but I like, I'll text Mike Russell. Yeah. Cause Mike knows yeah. way more shit than me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but it doesn't matter if they're yeah. shredded every single day. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And I, you know, I think some of this just
1: is with how we come up, right? That there's, there's a lot of subtle messages embedded in how we learn. You know, I remember Paul Chuck used to uh, take his shirt off on stage, and he's like, uh, "You should never listen to someone; shouldn't even be allowed on the stage unless they could teach the class with their shirt off." Now, for Paul, it's really self-justifying, right? Yeah, he's in great shape. Yeah, so it's a great criteria. You know, it narrows down the com- competition pool. Um, and for everyone else who's in great shape, it's validation for them. It's like, oh, hell yeah. Someone like me ought to be on the stage. So you can see how this, kind, this, this idea becomes so psychologically embedded that it's hard to actually even challenge. Right? I mean, I remember being a kid, being there and being like, yeah, I could teach with my shirt off right now. It's great. Give me a spot too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like as if that's the only
0: criteria all of a sudden, you know? It's kind of crazy. Uh, the older I get, the more my mind kind of changes on mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. But again, now we used to be young and really stupid and mm-hmm. older and, and not as stupid as I kind of <laughs> go through it. Stupid in new ways. That's yeah. how I think of it. Uh, so if I'm going to ask this question, since obviously you've been through it for a long time, your personal stuff, cause I think some people are probably interested. How is your fitness? Like, what does it now look like mm-hmm. compared to like maybe in your twenties yeah. as being in your forties? Cause you're still super fit. I'm just assuming the mindset has changed and probably like the protocol of, mm-hmm. of how you train it and what the goals are yeah.
1: yeah i mean i I, I mean I, I probably started training in earnest at let's like, say nineteen, and so coming up on forty nine so thirty years, and there's there's not been a, a substantial period. Thankfully, I haven't had any injuries or illnesses that have prevented but but that, that I've taken a significant time off. You know what I mean? I haven't had to. It's it's great. So I've been training 30 years. On average, I probably averaged five workouts a week for 30 years. Um, And as you said, they've changed. Back in the early days, it was bodybuilding competition. Um, After that, I, th- I had a little phase where I'm like, oh, I'm going to try endurance stuff. You know what I mean? I'm going to run marathons and stuff because it's hard. I still, was, I still was glomming onto this idea that if it's hard, it's got to be good for me. You know, yeah. I'm, I got to be forged in the fire. I, we didn't have the popularization of Stoic philosophy and Marcus Aurelius' writings back then yeah. to egg us on to do stupid things. So I, I don't know where I got it from, but I was doing that for a little bit of time. But then after that, I just fell into this thing where I want to be strong, I want to be flexible, and I want to have the conditioning to be able to do a three-hour hike. Or if someone says, hey, let's go rock climbing, you know what I mean? So just uh, whatever, the ability to do cross-functional fitness stuff. And then that's ebbed and flowed a little bit. You know, there was a time in my late 30s where I wanted to run track again, which I had done in high school. And so I started training for track and and doing that uh, and did really well at that. Took a break when we had our fourth child. Um, but I, I'm going to come back to that. And that's that's probably where I see like the next stage, like in my 50s and maybe even 60s. I see myself like strength training three or four times a week, going to the track another two, three times a week and competing in master's level track and field stuff. And the reason is because um, I don't think like health and longevity will come from being any bigger than I am right now or stronger than I am right now. I no. probably have maxed out that part of the health curve um but when i do track training like my joint i i feel like there's like a longevity component to that that people don't get as they age and the research bears this out as well i mean the mobility and flexibility work you know just that you get from track and field drills for sure you feel so good like aches and pains and joints and stuff like that feel really good when you're doing that kind of training and um it gives you conditioning without having to do those like Sunday beat downs. That we were ter- talking about this turbo like, workouts. Just do 200 calories on the air and then jump on the rower and then push a sled. And there's something cool and badass about that. And you really do feel badass when you can knock a workout like that out. But I think I get a lot of the same stuff from track training, um, but you
0: get it from a different interval of work and rest. You know what I mean? When you're moving dynamically, a lot of times, it's yeah. not just sagittal plane. It's not all the same. And if you look at, like, if you watch, like, the pros, right, yeah. like, the amount of skipping mm-hmm. they do. Yep. And how many legit fitness programs have any skipping. That's right. Involved? Yeah. Involved, which is crazy to me because these are the best dudes. Yeah. And they're skipping. In, not just, I mean, I'm talking ABs, everything. Yeah. But you watch it, I'm like, okay, maybe oh, yeah. we should do this.
1: Yeah. Stu McMillan, who runs Altus, which is kind of the premier track and field training yep. thing in the world. Uh, has this uh, series of what he calls rudiments. And they're just they're like little bounding and skipping movements that you could do as part of a warm-up or as their own independent training. And uh, it's awesome. I mean, uh, people should be doing this. I mean, if, um, if you're just doing like a half-assed warm-up right now in the gym, replace it with this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or on your off days, which you might call like an active recovery day, do stuff like rudiment where you're doing this like bit of bounding and skipping and ankle mobility stuff and knee and hip stuff. Um, I feel like there's this huge outsized benefit with doing it to most traditional fitness people. Um, And so uh, I'm right around the corner from starting to train for track and field competition again. And I'm really excited. I also, there's like also some, uh, you know, I've noticed that as everyone else declines, I can, fairly well keep my performance at this level so at a certain point i'm going to be really world class at this everyone's going to have to die or retire or you know atrophy but i'm going to get there i'm going to i i placed third in uh, canadian nationals in my age group a few years back in the 100 meter and fourth in the 200 but i'm sure i'm going to be like Setting world records, like maybe in my fifties or sixties, in, in this
0: because everybody else is dying off.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah it's not because I'm, like I'm so awesome. <laughs> it's just I can keep going, and, and they haven't.
0: Well, and there's like a there's a play aspect to that yep. where I'm a grinder by nature. Like I love to grind. Like this is my thing. Yeah, and I'll often probably to a fault where. I won't play enough, even though like I can put AirPods in and go play yeah. basketball for an hour and get lost in it. And like how much dynamic movement is in that? Mm-hmm. I'm reaching, I'm stepping, I'm shuffling. Yeah. Like, but I like to do this. But when you are doing something like that, it's, we always say when fitness is the outcome of the activity, mm-hmm. it's not the goal. Right. You felt like you didn't work out. Yeah. Where when you ride an assault bike for 200 cows, it sucks. Yeah. There's nothing. And there's a place for that. Yeah. But. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. And the play aspect too is really helpful with our family life. Like the kids
1: come to the track with me, you know, we can all go in the gym. Like uh, if I'm deadlifting today, the kids aren't going to come because it's boring. Yeah. And there's possible injury waiting for them if they get to, too close to daddy or if they touch me while I'm doing a move. Um, but at the track they can come, they can do the activity that I'm doing also. Which is cool. And they can learn along the way. And they have, I mean, um, our boys are playing flag football down here right now. Oh, nice. And they, they are absolute beasts. Like they're, and this sounds like a bragging dad or whatever, but they are uncommonly fast. Um, like when you see them, uh, I see them all the time and they're two brothers, two age apart and they're always, or two years apart and they're always competing. But when when you you just used to it, the other kids, when I see them with other kids, I'm like, I knew they were fast, but I didn't think they were this fast. Holy crap. Um, and they're, you know, nine and seven. And it's just from being around the track. You know what I mean? They, they actually know how to run. It's pretty sweet. And they also understand that like, there's a speed, like a gear that you can go to that no one else knows about at this age, you know?
0: Well, in the age range training is a real thing mm-hmm. where if they try to learn that at 40, yeah, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And they're depending on what ages they are. They're about to be on natural steroids for who knows how long, you know yeah, what I mean? That's right. Yeah. Like, so when you're strength training or like how, when I learned basketball and baseball, it's yeah. like, I could not shoot a basketball for 10 years and then show up. And it's, some things are always there. Yeah. And like that speed that they have, like they'll get older and, and slower, Yeah. but they always will have this gear mm-hmm. because in this time frame yeah. they could harness it, which is pretty sweet to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. And they, and they're, they're, also all four of them are really getting into like independently motivated uh strength workouts so recently the boys were like dad can you put us on like a strength program so you know they're beginners very so it's just body weight stuff and partner resistance stuff because i want them like to get into working out together right it's really fun to see them helping each other out now all four of them like just last week, they all did all their workouts on their own without their parents around. They just did it like, "Hey, bro, you want to go to a workout? Let's get our little sister." And they did all their all their workouts. So it's really cool that phase they're getting into now.
0: That is cool. That's one thing where I was like you, similar. Where in our apartment we had the uh, where there's sand in there or water in the plastic weights. Like right. that's the little shit set. Like yeah. my mom got me sand. And uh, I would go if I could go back. I would rebuild everything from all the foundational movements too. Yeah. Like from 10, like learning how to lunge and split squat and push up. And I'm assuming if you could go back and be that age, you would do the same thing. Well, this is, this is what I, I mean, what did I give
1: them? Right. That's why I often say when people ask me like, what supplements should I take? I've got some advice based on your own stuff. But another interesting question is like, which ones do you take or which one should I give my kids? Here's a good one. Ask the nutritionist, which he gives to his children, like when there's something at stake, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, not theoretically, what would you recommend to some random kid in the world you have no relationship with, but what would you give when there's, when it matters, when the health of the person matters to you more than your own health. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the, the workout I wrote for them was uh, they do this one circuit two times through, right? So it's, um, they do uh, jump squats as many as they can in good form. Then they, Then the brother goes, you know, then... I go, you go, yeah. Yeah, then it's push-ups, as many as they can with good form. Then they um, do walking lunges, as many as they can with good form. Then I have a broomstick across two chairs, and they do inverted rows, as many as they can with good form. Then they do sit-ups. Then I have them doing partner-resisted curls and push-downs. And then they just do that circuit through twice. So it's a little bit of body part. It's a little bit of fundamental movement patterns. Yeah. Right? And this is the this is their first ever official strength training program, you know, and then we'll add things and we'll tweak it over the years. But this is just, this is where I would start kids that I
0: love and care about, you know? No, it makes this, the fact that you say that I did the same thing at my financial advisor's office when we're talking about investments, I'm like, flip the screen. Let me see the shit you do. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what's on the line for you. And I want to be in the same stuff. Yeah. But to do it with your kid makes the most sense too. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Um, you talked about it for a second the the mobility stuff uh mm-hmm. that you do so any um do you have a mobility protocol like a soft tissue protocol do you what do you how much time do you spend on that obviously yeah being in your 40s versus when you're 20 yeah. we didn't really do that. yeah i mean in in track what like when i'm
1: training track it's different than what i do currently when i'm training track it's um it's a lot of the f- track drills, right? It's this these little ankle bounds and st- leg swings and all this kind of stuff, right? Like karaoke, and, is, and flexion yeah, extension stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, for, at this age, like my track workouts would probably be laughable to a young athlete. I mean, it's 45 minutes of d- drills and mobility work. Yeah. And then 15 minutes maybe of sprinting. You know, you're like... You spent, like, and sometimes it's even as much as an hour of warm-up, and then, like, you're going to run five 50-meter sprints
0: today. You know what I mean? But um, that's, I think, for people listening, because we'll get messages. Um, and, again, this is general fitness, so I'm not trying to talk shit about anybody. Yeah. But they're like, hey, man, I did a sprint workout for an hour. Right. And I cringe when I read it because I, my wife and I were in Orange County with these SisFit uh, fit twins as their Instagram. They both ran track in college. Okay. And they're fast. Yeah. No, I'm a dude. So I show up, I'm like, and I'm athletic for being old. Yeah, yeah, And I go, I'm like, these girls aren't that fast. Yeah, I can hang. Yeah, yeah. and so we run. It was, um, there were two hundreds to start. And yeah. the first two, smoke them, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close. And they're doing like repeats after we warmed up for half an hour. Yeah. And I remember the third one where I felt like my hamstring was going to come out of my yeah, ass. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me, dude. Yeah. But the point I'm saying is we were there for 30 minutes to warm up. Yeah. And then maybe it was five or six total runs. And right. my body, and you guys see what I look like, what I do, really couldn't make it through six like yeah. at 80%. Yeah, so when someone says they did an hour
1: sprint workout, you're like, you did an hour something. Yeah. You probably wasn't sprinting. It's not that. Because yeah. you
0: need so much rest time. Yeah, You're yeah. draining everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I and again, different ages, different recovery levels. For where I'm at now, when I go back to the track training, you know, full-time, whatever – in earnest uh it's it's laughable like you're like you went you came here for this you know yeah and I'm like yeah because I don't want a hamstring injury in my third week like I have to start off like a beginner and this is like universally applicable advice for anyone starting something after a break right I used to be a whatever I used to lift weights I used to do track I used to play football I used to play volleyball whatever you used to do your body is not the same and you got to ramp back up into it, you know? And so, but now my mobility stuff is, uh, I have had some knee injuries and I recently had some PRP done. So that's, uh, for those listening in, they, they, Pull out some blood they spin it down take out platelet rich plasma it's like the yellow stuff when you spin the blood down and they inject it back in your joint capsule so it's you know no external hormones or anything like that it's just your own body's healing chemicals they put into damaged joints so i'm basically in a knee rehab phase so like the first uh, 20 minutes of my workout is all basically knee rehab stuff. Yeah. You know, so I do a lot of hip work, a lot of knee and ankle work, Then I do a lot of foam rolling and stuff like that, and I do forward and backward sled drags, and then I do one-legged VMO activations and all this kind of stuff. And, it, I mean, it's 20 minutes. It could be 30 minutes, and then I do my strength training afterwards. But that's because I'm trying to prioritize knee rehab, so I can get these knees feeling great by the time I want to sprint again. And you would do some version of it anyway, probably like movement yeah. prep or something. Yeah, it wouldn't be this much, you know. It might For be sure. Fifteen minutes, something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I. But again, like when I train track, it makes the workout the warm up. You know what I mean? Like most of a track workout is the warm up, even though there are drills and skills and stuff like that. For sure. But you're not like running as fast as you can, right? And it makes the commitment to doing joint health stuff part of the workout and not something you're tacking on that you feel like you can cut out if you're
0: short on time. Well, it's, it's the priority. And I think anybody who's listening who's over the age of 25, which most of the people here tend to be. When you look at that regression, if you will, from I'm walking to like a cane to a walker, to a wheelchair, to a bed, It's really fast. Yeah. And you look at nursing homes, like three-fourths of the people are there because they can't use the bathroom unassisted. So it's Mm -hmm. like they can't do three-fourths of a bodyweight squat. Yeah. That's mobility. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yet we, and we now, well, I can sell anything now, which is kind of cool. But because I'm not a, in the beginner phase. When I yeah. was young, like, we used to do a, mobi- and this is probably 10, 12 years ago. Every fourth Friday, we would do a mobility day. Yeah. Like mobility foam rolling. The groups would go from 20 people to four people. Right. Because they don't need it, apparently. Yeah. Even but though you I don't watch don't feel it. like it's a workout, right? It just, it. There, there. I
1: mean, I still feel this to some extent. So if anyone out there feels it, I totally identify with it. Well, and know? I hate it
0: too because it's painful to yeah, do. Like, yeah. who, who wants to go like stretch their piriformis, right. and roll your VMO because it hurts? Yeah, I get that's it. it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's, it's
1: uncomfortable, and it also doesn't feel like it's contributing to your fat loss goals or your muscle gain goals. You know what I mean? For sure. It's, it's tangential. It feels like, until yeah. your lack of it creates an injury, and then you can't train it anyway. You know,
0: it's, well, it's like how I think of uh, like medicine, Um, at least in America, Canada maybe similar. We don't go to the doctor till we're sick. Yeah. Which is kind of backwards to me. If you're on a regular plan, I think you could alleviate a lot of the things that are going to come your way. It's the same thing here with soft tissue work Mm -hmm. and mobility. Most people don't start to do it until my shoulder hurts, my knee hurts, whatever it is. Uh, If we ask this, I don't want to keep you here all day and I'm going to pee my pants a little bit. Um, Your personal nutrition. Yeah. How do you eat? Because that's yeah. People want to know. You're yeah. the food guy. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, right,
1: right. Uh, like, it's it's almost like embarrassingly normal. You know what I mean? I'd like, assume so. Yeah. I don't have any particular you know physique change goals right now. So I wake up and have uh, turkey, bacon, and eggs and vegetables, and usually some steel cut oats at breakfast, and that usually keeps me not hungry till like mid afternoon. So I usually don't eat, like, a traditional lunch at noon because I'm never hungry. Yeah. Uh, I find that, like, with steel-cut oats, like, I I could go eight hours without eating or whatever, um, which is pretty good for calorie control. Uh, then around 2 or so, um, I usually maybe hit the gym around 1 or one thirty to 2 or 2.30, so then I am eat after that. I usually have, like, some amino acids and creatine during my workout. Yeah. And then I come home, and then I usually eat, like, a big, big... Protein thing with tons of vegetables, so I usually make a huge salad, like you know the serving bowl that you would serve a family. Yeah, that, that's my salad. Yeah, and I'll have you know, whatever two chicken breasts or two lean hamburgers or whatever you know. Yeah, um, and then uh, usually you know do our family stuff in the evenings we usually have sports and activities and programs and all that and then once we come home I put the kids to bed and then I eat my last meal for the day and that's usually kind of a reproduction of lunch with a different protein and a different veggie and then uh, if it was a training day I usually have like what I call my recovery bowl which is like I'm lactose intolerant and allergic to milk or dairy so we usually have dairy free ice cream some nuts banana what's your favorite kind of ice cream dark chocolate um, I would say that, uh, for the, uh, for people who aren't in the dairy-free ice cream world and they want to try their first dairy-free ice cream, the one that's closest to real ice cream is Ben and Jerry's non-dairies. No shit. Theirs are great from that. Now, once you get used to that, then you can branch off into all these other subtle textures and varieties. So Delicious probably has the next best yep. brand. I've had it. They have like, they have an one made from almond milk, one made from cashew milk, coconut, co- and a coconut one as well. Yeah. So I'd say like Ben and Jerry, I wouldn't say it's my favorite currently because I'm kind of off deeper in the non-dairy ice cream world, you yeah. know, but for people transitioning, it's, it's as close to the good stuff as possible. So then I just make this bowl with like half a pint of that and nuts and fruit and dark chocolate. And then I eat that before bed and that's pretty much my nutrition every single day you know now if I wanted to get leaner there might be a couple things I cut out of there if I wanted to get bigger I might add a meal somewhere in there but just for how I am now it's pretty straightforward and simple protein and veggies for my main two meals I got a big ice cream bowl in there and then
0: I put oats on on breakfast weird everybody protein produce and water and he eats every day crazy there you go uh people always want this magic stuff and like usually we just say it's Protein, produce, and water, and just wash, rinse, repeat for yeah. the most part. No, there's sexy things outside of that. Uh, you have any vices, really? Because um, it's basically just real food, is what you just listed. Yeah. Uh, not really. I mean, one of the things is in the last few
1: years I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. So psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So psoriasis is where like your immune system attacks your skin, you get these red eczema like patches. And just showed Um, up one day. Yeah. Just showed up one day. I I think I figured out what it is, but it's impossible to know what it actually was. Yeah. And then the the arthritis thing is your joints start bugging you, you know, like uh, unreasonably, like just coming out of nowhere, like what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I did a lot of stuff with naturopaths and functional medicine to figure out like the root cause of this. And, uh, I think it was mold in one of the houses we were living in.
0: No shit. Yeah.
1: So I think it was a immune reaction to mold. And I, again, I mean, i it would take a long time to unpack it all, but you know, I did a bunch of tests and I did a bunch of things and then we left that house and came down here and all my symptoms went away and then I went home and they came back and then we went to our cottage and they went away. So, You know, but it takes a while to figure this out, and most people never will figure it out because they don't have a cottage and they don't go to Arizona for the winter, right? But it was—I'm like—because I tried all kinds of dietary interventions and supplements and meds and all this stuff, and the only thing that reliably made it went away was leaving that house, right? Jesus. And so then um, we sold that house. We don't have that house anymore, and I haven't had any symptoms. But when I went through that process, I did a bunch of food elimination stuff. You know, and I figured out, oh, okay, I don't do good with soy and any dairy at all in my diet's a problem, right? So, okay, cool. So, I cut those two things out. So, pretty much a lot of vices are gone there. You know what I mean? If you can't have anything that has dairy in it at all, then, like, you can't eat dessert at a restaurant, it's, real you, know it's I mean? real,
0: you can't eat hurly shit at a
1: restaurant, Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so there's not much. I mean, I used to love pizza a lot, but I just don't eat that anymore. I had pizza once in like the last four years. Our oldest daughter was like, dad, we got to, I know you like pizza. We got to go out for pizza one night, go to this really good pizza shop in our town. And I'm like, well, to do that, I would need like to take like lactase enzymes, Benadryl, like a whole bunch of, like oh, a whole bunch of things. So I'm like, I'll do it this one time, right? So I've taken all these medicines, oh my went God, out dude. for pizza. And so that was my last pizza experience. So no, I mean, I don't even have any foods that are like bad foods or whatever that I eat. Uh, and, and largely it's because um, this dairy thing's a blessing and a curse. Like you want chocolate chip cookies? There's milk in there and there's going to be a consequence, not just in terms of weight gain or whatever. It's going to be how I feel. Like yeah. my nasal passage closes. You know what I mean? So I will immediately stop breathing out of my nose inside of two minutes of eating uh, milk protein. And then everyone knows what lactose intolerance does. Yeah. So basically like eating anything with even traces of dairy in it uh, is a problem for all my orifices. <laughs> you know? Jesus. So that really has, again, uh, there's a bunch of foods I can't enjoy. But also it, once they're fully off limits, then I don't eat those things. It's you a non-factor. Know I mean? Yeah. So and it makes it pretty easy. And you don't uh, you don't drink booze? I don't, but that was also part of my experiments with autoimmunity. People were like, oh, alcohol could be an issue there. So then I stopped because of that. You just felt better? Then I figured out that it was the house I was allergic to. And I was like, but I haven't drank in like a year and a half or two years. Yeah. Don't really miss it. So, yeah, I don't really drink too much anymore then, you know? Nice. Yeah. And so it's not virtue. It's not... You know, it's just a thing to treat a problem that I had. And then I was like, ah, I don't really miss it at all. You know, so it's cool. So I don't typically
0: drink either. It's, uh, I'm similar where there's certain things like I just, I can't eat. They yeah. don't, they don't, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so when we go places, I just like either I won't go at all or I'm like, mm-hmm. I just can't. And it's not me being, you know, and I think because you're in fitness, it's like, well, you're an yeah. asshole and now you don't eat this. Cause yeah. you're I'm like, it's not that. It's like, I'm just not willing to pay the price tomorrow, the next yeah. day and the next day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I eat dairy, i I've got diarrhea and tons of gas and I can't breathe through my nose and all night then I breathe with my mouth wide open and I wake up in the morning it feels like I'm sick because my throat's all dry and problematic. So it's just like I just simply don't
0: feel good when I do that and it's okay. You know what I mean? And I think and I've said this before if you took it the average person. And when I say average is probably not anybody who would listen to a fitness podcast. So right, it's right. nobody, because I, I think, what is it like 14% of people in America have gym memberships mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean they don't exercise, but I always take, if you look at a normal adult, how many of them have just eaten maybe protein and produce and water for like three days in a row. Right. And that's it. Yeah. I think that number is really small. Yeah. And so if I dig further, how many people even know what feeling good mm-hmm. feels like? Yeah. Which I think that number is rare too. Yeah. And when you have a level of body awareness, when you live in this sicko, you yeah. have shredded glutes and then you kind of build it from there, you know when you feel like shit. Yeah. And that's a gift and a curse too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm super mindful of everything I eat. Yeah. Very much like yeah. you.
1: Yeah. For me, it's if, if, if I had unlimited foods on the table as an option, right? there'd be very few things that I would never eat. You know, for sure. But I also have this knowledge of how to like balance my caloric intake with my energy expenditure so that I can kind of maintain the body. You know, it's like the cost of lean stuff so I can maintain a body composition and performance that I'm happy with and a health profile while still having an occasional cookie or piece of cheesecake or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, not everyone has that knowledge. So it's a real blessing to be able to say like, yeah, I could manipulate my body in a minute's notice. you know. Um, and I know if I want to eat some of those foods that people think are bad for you, it's not a problem because I can account for them in other places in my diet. It's a, It's a cool skill set to have. So because I have it, I don't have to not eat any foods because they're in the bad for you from a fitness virtuousness category. You know yeah. what I mean? So the only things I don't
0: eat are things that legitimately make me feel worse health wise you know well it's how I tell people they're like hey what are your and this is the question this is the internet world that I live on now how tall are you yeah how much do you weigh what do you eat what are your macros yeah. I'm like I don't track them dude right and they're like what do you mean I'm like well subconsciously I probably do yeah. in some weird way probably get your body weight in protein or whatever each day yeah, yeah. but I just kind of know based yeah. off how I look and feel yeah where for beginners or people yeah. who are not don't have the knowledge base it's for them it's yeah. the journey is way different yeah and also to the thing i was saying a minute ago like about
1: no foods being off limit at the same time um that doesn't mean i eat the not off limit foods every day you know what i mean yeah so again going back to what i eat i have you know eggs and turkey bacon and veggies and steel cut oats for breakfast i have protein and salad now i mix it up like the protein sources are often different like I will sometimes try exotic proteins just for something or different spices for something different. And it may not always be a salad. And one of my favorite things to do is like steam uh, broccoli, cauliflower, and then mash it and put a little truffle salt in it and then eat it as like a mashed potato kind of thing. But it's mashed veggies. I do the same thing with like butternut squash and a bunch of other things like mashed veggies. So uh, for anyone's like, oh, it's boring. It's like, yeah, I think so, too. If I ate salad every lunch for the rest of my life, I would find that also boring and unpalatable and I would stop doing it and be super annoyed by it, which is why I think of it as like, I have a round plate, the protein goes on there. I have a bowl, the veggies go in there. I'm going to try different proteins and veggies all the time and come up with like a rotation of ones that I really enjoy. You know,
0: I do the same thing or I'll just, I exhaust one option. Yeah, and then I exhaust oh, so you the eat next. Eat it till you're sick of it, and, the next, and then next, yeah. and then I cycle back through. Yeah, yeah. just because I'm lazy and it's just easier right. that way. Yeah, but it's the same kind of thing. The even if the foods change, the base is always right. the same. Yeah, nothing's different. Mm-hmm. So, is there any oh, I always ask for everybody um, supplements that you do take mm-hmm. um, specific ones? Obviously, you mentioned creatine, like during the workout, aminos, and those things.
1: Yeah, once once a day, I I put like a, I put together like a collagen protein, uh, greens. Um, a little bit of essential amino acids in there um, and uh, uh, vitamin C powder. Yeah. And I just drink that like once a day. Um, Most of the proteins on the market, like I just fine hurt my tummy. You know, any of the dairy ones do for sure. Most of the vegan ones do as well. I like collagen protein, but it's not complete. So I Mm -hmm. spike
0: it with a little essential amino acids. For people in the, I know this. For these guys listening, because I want you to say it so nobody smokes yeah. me here, um, with the collagen protein not being complete, yeah, it doesn't do what people think it's doing when they just take it solo. Yeah,
1: I mean, on its own, it's missing a couple of the key amino acids that help to facilitate protein synthesis. Build and muscle for you. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so when compared head-to-head with like whey protein, so let's say you take uh, 50 college-aged weightlifters, and you give them a strength training program, and you give one group uh, two scoops of collagen a day, and the other group two scoops of whey a day, the people who are taking the whey will build slightly more muscle than the collagen ones. Um, And so people will then use that as a justification for saying, you're an idiot for taking collagen. But I'm not using collagen for muscle building, necessarily. Yeah, I am using it to get a little extra protein but i put the extra amino acids in there to make make it it like a whey protein yeah but the other reason i use it is for joints right i talked about this autoimmune condition i had i talked about my knee injuries and trying to rehab them and collagen may be useful for that as is the vitamin c so like the perfect collagen supplement to me would have vitamin c collagen peptides and essential amino acids to boost the which is exactly what i'm putting in there and then i put a little greens powder in there too it's perfect. You know. So that's that drink. During my workouts again, I do like creatine essential you know, amino acids and sometimes I put a little extra collagen in there too. Yeah.
0: Um and I don't think I take anything else right now. And that's pretty much it. Pretty simple. Yeah. And that's the blanket advice we kind of give to most people. Yeah, Unless I mean, you at have a at specific... baseline, yeah, yeah. Greens, creatine, protein kinda done, you know? Yeah. We always say, um, if you, I mean, cause I've had my blood work done a trillion times and early when I first moved here, That was probably different. I came from Minnesota, so it's basically Canada. And uh, I felt like this. I had to be outside every day when it looked like this until you realized. It's like this every day. day. (laughs) Totally, yep. And You're uh, not going to miss out on the sunshine. But the crazy thing was once I started working like a lunatic, my vitamin D would be deficient. Right. Because I wasn't getting enough sun. Yeah. So, like, we'll tell people, and vitamin D is so ridiculously cheap, like, to take that with your K2 just because if you are. Because a lot of people don't even know yeah and that's it's almost like a hormone regulator yeah really yeah which is important oh that's it. i think
1: it's i think it's true you know at this point in my life we have a dog and we homeschool so we have like well you're living the life now (laughs) it's it's part of uh the design of our day to get outside every day oh yeah so uh once we started like i walk the dog twice a day so i get two minute two 20 minute walks a day outside and then we go out with the kids so i find that like for me, I'm out in the sun enough, and then we don't spend the winter in Canada, so you know what I mean. We get we get our vitamin D there, and that's the, I'm just saying that because that's the only reason why I don't take it. For sure. if I did spend the winter in Canada, I would probably take vitamin D supplement as well.
0: Or for the people who literally go from like their house to their car to yeah. the office, and they're kind of trapped all yeah. all day every day. Totally, um, and you know, and there's there's other supplements that if I had
1: specific athletic goals or i always call it like a needs analysis if i did a needs analysis and i saw like oh I'm, I'm trying to train a particular energy system and there might be a limiting factor here based on the limits of human physiology yeah maybe i'd take a supplement to boost that particular here but i'm not doing that right now you know what i mean i'm not trying to overwhelm a physiological system that's limiting i um, measure all my blood work my testosterone's high normal i uh, don't take any hormones so all, all my stuff you know my blood glucose is regulated well my cholesterol is in the right range so there's no reason to take anything else for me based on the tests that
0: i do but you know, for some people there might be other supplements that are useful since you touched on it i'll ask it quick and then i'll give you one question before i get you out of here what's um if you were all of a sudden you're 55 yeah. and your testosterone goes to shit yeah like would you replace it
1: Um, it's a good question. I've thought a lot about this. I posted a lot about it on social media too. Um, because there's a school of thought that I've been entertaining, which is this idea that, um, could there be a evolutionarily beneficial reason for diminishing testosterone in the people who are supposed to be wise elders in our communities? Yeah. You know what I mean? So framing it up in a very particular way, like independent of health crisis, yeah. You know, independent of dysfunction. Like could it be advantageous to me even personally? Yeah. To have less testosterone in my ages where I'm a guide and mentor to others and not a competitor in the game of life. You know what I
0: mean? Um, You're saying how I'm thinking, cause I'm a gorilla. So here's how I think about it. Instead of just being a savage and being just pumped full of testosterone, killing (laughs) people at 60, you become like the Dalai Lama type figure. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea just
1: being like, uh, I mean, one of the areas I was deeply interested in my graduate school studies was hormones and testosterone. And uh, instead of going to study, protein synthesis and performance around that. I almost ended up in California, uh, USC studying testosterone with one of the world leading researchers there. We know for sure testosterone has a, um, Multifactorial effect on aggression on competitiveness on these kinds of things right for sure it's not to say taking testosterone will make you aggressive competitive and do illegal things no it's just these will ratchet it up it'll increase the probabilities of you acting in those ways in certain situations so I just I continue to think like would it be an advantage not to be that way when it's my job to raise up children and grandchildren yeah so I don't have an answer yet I haven't been faced with that challenge yet again Uh, every doc that I meet asks me if I'm I'm on testosterone when they see my testosterone numbers because they're right at the borderline of high normal. And it's because I have minimal stress in my life. I get loads of sleep, average eight and a half hours a night. I have probably slightly hypercaloric diet. I train hard and I recover from it. So all the factors are in place and I don't have an underlying disease or dysfunction, right? Yeah. So I have very high... So it would be easy for me to say like, Oh, age gracefully. Don't take testosterone as you get older. Uh, but you, f- but you feel here great. With, with yeah. the gift of, you know, high testosterone, if it even matters in how I feel. So let's say we fast forward and I'm experiencing andropause and my testosterone starts getting into the 200 range and I'm hypogonadal and I'm having symptoms. Would I consider taking it? Maybe. Maybe. I don't say absolutely. Because at that stage in my life, I would have to weigh out what are the symptoms is it truly making me feel dysfunctional as a human and like, are you depressed and things yeah. like that? Yeah. And am I getting a benefit to being less aggressive, competitive, et cetera. Yeah. At that stage in my life where that might be a big advantage, you know, it might be an advantage to be more chilled out, more emotionally available, you know, all the, all the things that may be associated with uh, lower testosterone. Now, again, lots of testosterone advocates, will Be super mad at me for saying, Oh, oh this. we've had
0: a bunch of the you know HRT doctors on yeah, here for sure, well,
1: totally because because they have seen people who legitimately are suffering from low it testosterone, change, oh, it changes their life, yeah, yeah,
0: and um, and also they have something to sell,
1: yeah, PS, well, there's there's, you there's, you know? an,
0: there's an incentive behind it, yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because I've never heard anybody answer it that way, um, and I can. If we, we, if, we
1: we love evolutionary explanations, yeah. but we love tucking them in like the neat and tidy corners of our lives. I'm like, if we're going to talk about why a man, as they age, get reduced testosterone levels... Is there a reason? Is there a reason? Is, is a positive a, yeah, reason? Yeah, there may not be. There yeah. may not be. But I... Uh, We should at least ask the question, is there an evolutionary advantage to having the young high testosterone people going out and hunting and doing battles and wars and impregnating the women of the village uh, and the older men uh, not competing on those same dimensions, but
0: being resources, you know? I never thought of it that way, but I'm still like, I live in the life every day. Mm-hmm. So when you asked me if I'd be like, well, fuck yeah, dude, pump me with all the drugs, yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't want to let it go. Yeah. Which is a question that, and I've shared this a couple of times where, was that this is a different dinner, David, Jack and BJ and I, and sitting there. And he asked us the question, Dave and in his infinite... Jesus like wisdom. Uh, he goes, if your body was taken away from you today, like, yeah. would you be okay with it? Mm-hmm. Like your life in general, like you're yeah. still you, you have your brain, which the older I get, I'm more thankful for yeah. this because I have some self-awareness and yeah. I'm not a complete idiot, but this has been yeah. my vehicle yeah. that's allowed me every opportunity to mm-hmm. meet you and all these other amazing humans. Yeah. And I want to answer the question by like, yeah, I'd be cool with it, Yeah. but I think I'm full of shit, Right. but I, cause I think it'd be tough yeah well it's 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 a great question that is
1: also wise too because it gives you can answer it today like at your current age if you i don't know had suffered an accident that led to paralysis and you couldn't use your body as a tool anymore would you be okay with it obviously the answer is no 100 percent no because tomorrow i wouldn't be able to walk and i'd have to go through rehab like functionally it's problematic but it also speaks at the inevitable future for all of us yes i mean you know, uh, Amanda, my wife, and I talk about this sometimes, you know, when we're still in the ages where physical attractiveness is, matters to us, except for we're, as we approach 50, like, we don't look like we did when we were 20 and 30 anymore. Yeah. And so we're, we're on the decline. You
0: know what I mean? Like, and eventually... After what, like 25? I mean, I mean <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's certain things where I think of it in terms of athletic performance, yeah. which you touched on earlier, where... I play basketball like once a year now. Yeah. From playing in college to, to being in this. Yeah. And I show up and I always say this to my wife. And I go, oh, my only goal is to not get hurt. Yeah. Because this is how we make money. Right. And I'm like, I do that for about 10 minutes. And yeah. then this old person inside yeah. of me comes out and I can still do some of the same things. Yeah. But the percentage at which they work out is far less. Yeah. And the recovery isn't possible. So I'm, but I'm okay with it because that's my old life. Yeah. But this is something different, though. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, ultimately, here's another framing of the question.
1: What will you do? What will you put in place so that you can grow old gracefully? Because it's not an option. Like, you have to grow old. And you can do it kicking and screaming. You can do it miserably. You can do it gracefully. Uh, And doing it gracefully is not what's going to happen naturally. You're not just gonna be like, ah, this is great as I lose my all my capabilities and my physical attractiveness and all the things, right? So what will you put in place to do it? Like how will you uh prepare yourself intellectually for it, you know? And we get all these little things along the way. I remember like um when I started getting gray hair, you know, and uh people are like, Well, you should dye that because you're on camera and you go to things and I did for like a minute and I was like, no, fuck this.
0: You know what I mean? Oh, I'll do a video on Instagram, dude. And people, and I'll talk close, right? Yeah. Cause I don't give a shit. I'm, again, I'm from dude from the Midwest. Uh, they'll be like, you should get Botox. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not judging anybody. Right. That's cool. I go, but that's not who I am. Yeah. Well, I don't this give is a it, shit. Right. I'm like, I want to start the process of
1: growing old, old gracefully now. Um, the we've all seen it with like uh let's say actors and actresses right where oh dude um maybe you remember them from your favorite movie that was 15 years ago and then you see them in the media and you're like what happened to them right um it's it's part of your own problem because you remember them from when they were younger and it's part of the illusion that hollywood sets up about people not aging um but i'm not in hollywood i don't have to like get roles as a younger person. No, I can be my actual age for the rest of my life, you know? And so how do we do that? So David's question is just another variant of this one that I ask people a lot. What will you put in place now so that you can grow old gracefully? You know, Uh, not give up on all your physical capacities and all that, but just this full knowledge that it will be taken away. Uh, If you're fortunate, it won't be taken away by an accident and a paralysis. It'll be taken away gradually over time. But it will be taken away. Your looks,
0: your capacity to dunk a basketball, your ability oh, to sk- I, I i think back of that squat, too. Every time, like, every time I leave the ground, I'm like, "Well, is something going to come detached that's supposed yeah, to be attached?" That's right. Yeah. And my wife's like, "When do you think you won't be able to dunk a basketball?" I'm like, "I don't know." I'm like, "It'll be in my 40s for sure." Yeah. I'll either be too scared to do it, or it will just elude me, and that will be a—it'll be a sad day. Yeah. Because it's been like from like 15 till. Yeah, forty whatever. But but you and I sitting here right now fully know that day is gonna be here. You know what I mean?
1: So how will it be? How will you make it okay? So when it does arrive, you know. And so this all plays into the testosterone question for me. Yeah, it's like will I keep fighting against the inevitable realities of aging and nature? Um, Will I dye my gray hair black so I can pretend I'm younger? Will I take testosterone so I can pretend I'm younger? Will I put fillers in my face so I can pretend I'm younger? Will I you know? put uh, breast implants in my chest. You know, yeah. any of the variety of things that we can do to continue to pretend that we're younger than we really are. Now, again, if there's a clinical situation that comes up and we're dealing with real health crisis, cool, I'm not. there's no judgment here. It's just an open question for me that we we don't get to
0: not make. Like, we, we have to live forward as all humans do. And it's harder, I think, when you're young, you don't understand it. And as you do get older... Like, even for me, like, my hair would just get thinner. And I'm like, uh, it still grows, but I'm like, I'll just fucking shave it, dude. Yeah. I'm like, it's a either, you know, fire or get, you know, kind of quit situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I could try to hold on to it and do whatever. But I'm like, I just feel better this way. right? And that's, for me, was probably, the, and I talked with BJ about this, too, when he was here. Like, that's when it became, like, real for me. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, dude, you're not 25, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, you are actually getting older. Like, yeah. that's uh, as, as small of a thing as that is it's your mortality is like stares you in the face yeah. especially for us because we spend so much time like yeah on our bodies oh yeah there's
1: uh there's a thing i talk about with a lot of my friends and i ask this question like when was it that deep in your body in your bones you realized that you're going to die one day because i remember when it was it was in my um late 30s and i just remember sitting there one day and i bunch of random thoughts running my head as they do and i just remember going oh i know for sure that i'm gonna die one day that it will be the end of this body and whatever sense experiences i have in the world and you know it intellectually again before that you always know it but i remember it just really occurring to me like really deeply and i have asked a lot of people this question and a lot of them have an answer oh yeah and some of them don't they haven't they haven't it has not come to them yet you know what i mean like deeply like you feel it in your body like there's a sensation in your gut and your chest and this whole thing comes together
0: as oh for real you know no i well i used to think and i'll tell this story quick uh BJ will call me the fitness uh, Bruce Willis because I look like Bruce Willis. I'm just more jacked and tan than him. <laughs> uh, and I, but forever, and this is just somehow connected. I watched the movie Unbreakable, mm-hmm. like with Bruce Willis in it, as a kid. And I'm not shitting you until I was probably thirty-five or six. I thought that if we were like on a train and it crashed, like everyone could die, and I would be totally fine. Right, right. And I mean that with all sincerity. Yeah. Like nothing can touch me. Yeah. Until like some things start happening as I get older. And I'm like, yeah, no, I can get hurt. Mm-hmm. I can get sick. Like yeah. I am deteriorating in some sense. Like my skills, I'm not as fast. Yeah. I'm not as quick. Like I don't, I can't, you know, eat Burger King and play four basketball games in a right. day and wake up and be okay the next day. Yeah. And so, yeah, it became real to me real fast, mm-hmm. which I do in not to get like super far down the rabbit hole, I have a bigger sense of appreciation for everything because of it, though, mm-hmm. because yeah. I understand, like, the time is going to be gone one day. Yeah, I mean, people
1: tattoo, like, memento mori on their body now just to, you know, it's the, the uh, remember your death or remember your mortality reminder um, for this very reason. Like, not so that it's a... Um, not depressing. Yeah, ter- terrible thought or whatever, but so that it's a wait, bit of a wake-up call, you know what I mean? Like, hey. I have so, some number of days left. And I feel it, and I know it, and there's a choice I can make to live in accordance with that, you know, that I can do some things that, you know, whatever, whether you want to talk about making a difference, changing the world, leaving a legacy, or if it's just like, uh, there's going to be hours, there's some number of hours that will have to pass before I die. And we all just have to get to choose. We have to choose. We get to choose how to spend those hours. You can play video games. You can build the business. I'm not here to judge any of them. But we have
0: to spend them somehow. Well, know? and I always say with fitness, you know, it's, uh, I, we don't sell anything here. We just present it. If you want to yeah. be fit or cool, we're happy to help yeah. you. Even if this didn't extend my life, yeah, the quality of it is improved yeah. drastically by being healthier. Yeah. Or let, let's take any argument
1: in favor it off the table and say, what else are you going to do with your time? Like if you really think about it from like a nihilistic perspective, it's just like we humans are awake a lot of the day. And then we got a lot of days ahead of us if we're fortunate until we die. You have to spend those hours somehow. Yes, You can do drugs, you can drink alcohol, you can eat food, you can go get a job and go to work. You can do fitness, you can read books. There's like... An almost unlimited number of activities that you can do while waiting to die. You know, Um, this is at least as good as most of them. Probably better than a lot of them. You know what I mean? So even if we don't have to talk about the endless virtues of physical activity and fitness, you know, you got to do something
0: with your time. This is a pretty good choice. And such a small, I always go, I'm a huge time person. We actually had one of these... This 86,400 is obviously seconds in the day. We yeah. had a, a guy drop this off who's just a fan, which is yeah, super cool because I could never make that. And if you look at how much time you have in your life, if the average person gets about 30,000 yeah. days, give or take, yeah. you can do your age and the life expectancy to figure it out, which is depressing and also yeah. cool at the same time. But to work out, to train, to be physically active for 2 to 4% of your day, yeah. it's not that big of an investment. Yeah. And the ROI to me Mm-hmm. there's nothing else I can do. It's not study fitness, study nutrition, finance, yeah. anything for 30 minutes and get this big of a return on yeah. it. and That's my argument for everybody. Mm-hmm. What you put in is going to pay you back tenfold, if yeah. not more, yeah. which is pretty sweet.
1: Yeah. And again, you got to do something with that time anyway. So make a list. Like if you're not going to do this, what are you going to do instead? Okay. Does it sound more attractive? Is it sound better does it sound like it has a good return on investment you know it's uh it's really is a governing principle of mine that we have to find ways to fill our time before we die you know and there's all kind we attach all kinds of meaning to our choices but ultimately stuff uh, is going to get done in your life you know what i
0: mean and then you're going to die agree uh which i'll plug two things one quick i do think and again I'll, i'll share all of uh John stuff here in the show notes but the Changemaker book does a good job of that mm-hmm. like I read everything now and I don't really do it in a fitness context and it's not that I can't learn things in fitness but you know fitness is so broad mm-hmm. I'm not going to be a strength and conditioning coach anymore Yeah, I gave that up when I was 25 yeah. I go, this is who I work with this mm-hmm. is who I want to help this selfishly gives me more than any athlete would. Mm-hmm. It's just what I personally like. So when I read a book like that and I look at Change Maker, especially the workbook part of it, which is I personally like because I love the personal development stuff, especially mm-hmm. when it's self-reflection, I look at it from just like a life standpoint mm-hmm. of answering like, hey, here's what I want to do, here's what I want to work with. I do think it's great for that. And so as I mentioned that, and we do have a lot of young fitness and, and health professionals listening, is there anything you would – tell them like a piece of advice for like a young people in the game mm-hmm. right now. Cause it's so much different because you're, I mean this in the most respectful way possible. You're way, you've been this way longer than me. Mm-hmm. And so you've seen the full, you've yeah. literally lit in Goodman said this when he was here. He's like, he feels, I feel like a grandfather mm-hmm. in fitness. Cause I've lived through the evolutions yeah. of, of people. And so have you. And so if you could, if you did talk to somebody who's 25, 26 mm-hmm. and they're just getting into, into the game, Mm-hmm. Well, you, what do you tell them?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the most important thing, I think, and it's the thing that people the least want to invest in or think about or whatever, is you just have to get like your ship pointed in the right direction. And I think that um, it's like, oh, well, duh. But I'm not meeting a lot of people who have it pointed in the right direction. And I don't mean the right direction for the world. I mean for you, right? Yeah. And so as you know, uh, we spend a lot of time in the book Talking about this idea of, you know, your origin story, your purpose, your unique abilities, and your values, like a deep identification of them, and that you're not going to come up with them on your own. The idea of sitting there with your notebook and writing out your purpose and val- its stupid. You're not going to come up with them because it's impossible to see yourself. You're biased. Yeah, I mean, both metaphorically and physically. Like, think about it. Your eyes are in your own head,
0: so you can't actually see yourself, right? Only in a reflection or in a video or something but even when when i think about it like that it's like my thoughts are my thoughts because i think they're right right I wouldn't think them if I thought they were fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. Yet, however, they may be wrong. That's right. And that's a hard place for people to be. Yeah. So the
1: idea is you you do these exercises in community. You do them with the people who know you best, your friends, your family, your colleagues, your coworkers, whatever. And again, there's specific questions that you give them and they fill out and then you triangulate this thing. But the idea is to arrive at this place where you're like, okay, for better or worse, I feel like this thing is meaningful that I want to do right? For mine, why is it in fitness? I probably could have success in other dimensions of the workplace. I would almost
0: argue you would have, I don't want to say more success, but for you to be as intelligent as you are to pick fitness, I'm sure some of your your peers or the people you went to school with are like, well, now they probably don't because you're crushing it. Right, yeah. They're probably like, what the fuck is this dude yeah, wasting his time? Why are you using your talents here? Yeah. yeah. And the answer is
1: randomness. I got in a car crash. I stumble into a gym some guy happens to be looking for a mentee, I don't know, whatever. He mentors me and I'm like, oh, so deep in my soul, in my subconscious fitness, the, this particular club Genesis in Hatfield, Pennsylvania imprinted on me, right? Yeah. And now I can't get rid of it. You know what I mean? Like if I wanted to work anywhere else, it wouldn't feel like home because of that so it's just a random experience It's my origin story right it's yeah. what happened to me outside of my control that makes me feel the way that i do you got to write that out you have to each individual has to figure out what's my origin story oh this isn't informing my sense of purpose in the world now you could have a whole bunch of different purposes which is great but there's going to be some things that matter to you and some things that don't and they don't even have to have an existential value to them that's just because some shit happened to you when you're younger yeah, that's it, and then your unique abilities—identifying the things that a you're good at to the point where you could be world class at or are that you enjoy and you feel like you could keep learning about them forever and still enjoy—and that when you do it, it moves your metrics of meaning. You know, so it's just like whatever you think—is it making money? That was one of mine. It wasn't the only one, but it was one of them. Yeah, uh, is it changing lives? Is it whatever? Providing a better life for your family. Whatever your metrics and meaning are, when you use these skills, it moves them, right? Uh, And then that's unique ability set, right? So can I figure out the stuff that's happened to me that makes me think certain things are more valuable than others, and then use my unique skills to serve that, and then using values as your guardrails for that, right? All of that sounds really cognitive, but the fact of the matter is when I figured out mine, I... Printed them out and I put them around my office and I looked at them every single day and they were what helped me decide what to say yes to and no to every single day. At a certain point in my career, I was, it was an embarrassment of riches, lots of opportunities coming my way. And without those as a filter for what to say yes and no to, you said, yes, to everything. I would have said yes to a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have done. I would have been probably overworked and overstressed. I would have had less time for my family. And I maybe wouldn't have had time to do the meaningful things that led to growing a $200 million business because I would have been scrambled. Right. But with this really clear blueprint, it's like, here's why I'm here. Here's what I think is meaningful. Here's what I can do that contributes value to this. And here's what I won't do because it's not within my value set. Oh, now decisions get really easy. Should I open a gym or go online? You get that question all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, What's your purpose, unique abilities, and values? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then I can't answer. No, you're not even going to be able to answer the go online or, you know, no one's going to be able to answer that for you. All the little decisions. Oh, should I go speak at this seminar or should I work on my next article, right? Any of these things get really easy when you have your ship pointed in the right direction. So, for people working in health and fitness, trying to grow a career, this is where you have to start. Um, And almost no one's doing it. And I can tell by how people spend money in the industry and what seminars they go to and what they talk about. Um, They talk about like entrepreneurship before they talk about career. You know, career is this, you know, entrepreneurship is one tool in the career toolbox. You know, Uh, they talk about marketing before they talk about this. You know, so, um, this, this is what I, this is advice I'd give to everyone. And I would say
0: far too few people are going to take me up on this advice and and start investigating this stuff. But it doesn't take, all you're saying is basically audit the things that you're good at. Yeah. The things that you enjoy, the things that align with your personal belief systems and like what you can either produce or give back to the world based off of this. Yeah. A set of principles that you're already living your life by Mm -hmm. whether you realize it or not. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just get started in careers and it's like, well, this is just what I do and this is how it's going to be. It's just copycatism, really. That's
1: really it. You know, I was at an event, Luca Husavar. I don't know if you know Luca. Oh, yeah, Uh, Portland? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So a couple, right right before COVID is the last event I spoke at. And um, I was sitting there watching the audience and there was a diverse group of speakers on the stage, different people with different personalities. And I was watching how I see the audience wanting to copy whoever their favorite person was up there. You know? and realizing that none of the people up there have copied each other, right? So everyone up there is different, and that's why they're there. So if you try and copy any one of them, well, you have to wait for that person to die or retire to get their spot. Yep. You know what I mean? You need to be the most you. That's what gets you up on the stage. And it's just everywhere. It's like, oh, precision nutrition. Cool. How did they have success? I want to be a nutrition coaching company. We'll copy them. I'm like, this is not gonna work. I have far more resources than you. In every dimension, I'm probably more educated. I have more money, I have more staff, I have more experience. You can't compete with that yet. You have to compete by being more you than I could ever be, you know? And so this is why I think this is the first step, right? Because this is discovering all the you-ness of you. You know, the first step in growing a business or getting a successful career, know yourself. Then you know your audience. Then, you know, have to know what they'd be willing to pay for, you know, and then you
0: can build from there. You know, I think that's a great point, too. And I'll touch on it fast before we go. Uh, When you're in fitness, obviously, even early on, you can model behaviors for sure. You can you can take there might be something I take from you Mm -hmm. that I immerse into me, but it's not going to be you because I can't do what you do. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always mention Dave and BJ cause they're a huge yeah. part of my life. I can't be David Jack. Mm-hmm. I sure as hell can't be BJ. I'm like, I can take little pieces of yeah. what they do, but it's me universally. The, uh, this week, Wednesday.
1: So, uh, every Wednesday, uh, so Molly Galbraith and Casey Sasek who run Girls Gone Strong, uh, usually Casey and I go for a hike together. Uh, we usually do like the, what's it called? Sunset. Sunrise Peak or Sunset Peak is out by Lost Dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a, so it's like a three-hour hike. So we usually get up early Wednesday morning. We go for this three-hour hike, and we talk. So the, just this last Wednesday, he's like, the most impactful thing you ever taught me was this, right? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Can't wait to hear Lay what this Lay it on is. me, bro. Yeah, what, what exactly was this, and will I be embarrassed by hearing what you're about to tell me? Yeah. And uh, he was like, uh, you told me that um, lots of people will give us advice about our business, Lots of them are going to be really, really smart and successful people, and none of them will know us or our business well enough for that advice to be fully useful. In other words, I need to listen to all these smart people. Like When dumb people give you advice, it's easy to discount it. The danger is taking advice from smart people who don't know you or don't know your business. Right? Because you're going to try and copy the, the advice. You're like, they're way smarter than me, way more successful. They have more money, they've accomplished more things. They must be right, and I must be wrong. And that's incorrect. They can't possibly know you well enough. They can't know your business well enough. So what you need to do is listen to them, and you need to like run some equation or algorithm or some way. It's exactly what you were saying to pull out what you can use, like a filter, and just leave the rest. Yeah, you know, because they can't possibly help you. The only person that can help you is you. Now, some of their like some of their advice, like this thing that I taught him, he'll carry forward and it'll be a useful thing for his business right yeah uh but not everything else i say is going to be useful to him or valuable or you know whatever so yeah i think um i just wanted to highlight that to your point you know it's this thing that um copycatting other people we don't know it's fine we know that's probably not a great idea but even just taking advice this is where the trap taking advice from smart successful people isn't always useful to us because again we know us better than they could ever know us unless we don't, you know, and that's the, that's back to my first step
0: again. We need to know us better than anyone else could know us. Well, it's where I think of like EQ and IQ, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you have like a level of self-awareness that's deep, then you know, mm-hmm. where I've, I can't tell you how many people here said like, you should open a second gym or a yeah. third gym. Um, A, my wife would leave me <laughs> in two seconds and I'd want to blow my brains out yeah. because it's too much. Yeah there's it, it, just I have no interest in it and not for some people like some people will have multiple gyms right and, it, so and, the, and it's amazing for them yeah but that's not who I am that's as, right but I know that yeah where when you're maybe 25 26 and people tell you this is what you should do yeah. if you're not confident in who you are or your yeah. own skill set then maybe you're going to take this advice what points you in yeah. directions that you're not meant to go And,
1: you know, now there's one counterpoint to all this that I'm saying that I always feel the need to address. Like Gary Vee's talked about this and he says all this stuff about purpose and whatever, what I'm talking about, unique abilities and values. uh, You can't possibly know this when you're young or you you have to just go out and live life and try stuff. And I'm like, he, he makes a good point, but it's as incomplete as he thinks mine is incomplete. In other words, uh, You can only go out and live life that's all we can ever do that's what we're all doing already every day yeah if you don't do the exercises i'm talking about then you're just randomly guessing at things and i would like to do a high probability play rather than a low probability play and the high probability play is figure out your, your origin story purpose values unique abilities and then try from the menu that could be part of those things rather than from all the things in the world if if your only advice is go out and try stuff then I have every possible thing to try in the world on the menu and
0: odds are you're gonna suck at most of them
1: yeah I mean there's a chance I'll never figure it out if if it's that many things to try true so let's try and narrow it down into at least a sliver that makes sense and then try from among those. So I think both pieces of advice have to fit together here. You have to live your life forward. You have to go out and try things. But you start, ought to start drafting now, right? You narrow down the field. And as you get older, it narrows down even further because you tried stuff and you learn more about yourself, right? It's an iterative process. You just keep going with this.
0: I like that, man. That's, um, this is gold. So if you guys um, want to pick up the book, yeah, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. You, you haven't you have other books though. I don't want to like gloss over those quick, but I'm about to pee my pants literally. Um, we're almost at three hours here. Uh, Scrawny to brownie. Yeah, that yeah. was a great book too. That was like a cult
1: classic. Muscle, yeah, people thought that I would sell a couple hundred copies, and we've done probably
0: close to two hundred thousand over the years. If you're a dude, you still to this day, like if you're a dude looking to to get jacked. Yeah, it's, Scrawny to It's, kind of a, is, it's yeah. a good. Um, and the recipes and stuff and yeah. like in there it's a good that's a good piece uh 2005 which is crazy dude yeah. you've done so much stuff man and it's all good stuff on your site you can find most of it right yeah yeah if people go to com, there's like it's you know it's not a
1: content site or whatever it's just an overview of the stuff that I do and then people can jump off from there
0: yeah and I'm not saying it's just cuz he's here um I'll talk about this book when he's not here too um but change maker is a good it doesn't matter what stage you're at um, in your fitness journey. If you're a beginner, I would for surely pick it up. Uh, if you're somebody who's been in it a long time, I would tell you to do it as well. And honestly, if you've read it once or even looked at it, like to go back and do those drills. And that's what I'm saying by like, it's a great piece, like scrawny to Brownie If you're trying to get jacked, yeah, pick it up. And the fasting stuff is yeah. obviously awesome too. Cause I'm a huge fasting person, been doing it forever. But this book in particular, because you could do it today and you could do it five years from now, it'd be different. Yeah. I uh
1: I I'll never make a dollar off of this book because um I put so much into the development of it financially. Dude,
0: your the sources on the back alone yeah. is
1: like a book. Yeah, and i bought so many copies that I just give away at events and things like that. I'll never make a dollar on this book. Never. Yeah, and I and I say that simply because it's like
0: a legacy project. Yeah, I I
1: that's not the goal of it. Like that was never my intention. Like I just want everyone in fitness or thinking about being in fitness or adjacent to fitness to have this information. It's everything I think I've learned in 30 years in the field and all the mistakes I've made and lots of personal stories and lots of exercises. And I just wanted to just give it, you know, so I'm like, uh, this to me, cause I'll make no money. It's a free project. Probably cost me money. It's more of a gift. Yeah. And so I, I hope everyone gets it. I mean, there was a while there where PN gave it to every student and customer, no shit. uh, for free. Um, because I just want every, I want it in, they say there's like 400,000 working fitness professionals in the world today. I'm like, I want, I want at least 400,000 copies of this in the world. But um, I think like it's,
0: even if you're not in fitness,
1: yeah, it's, I don't think it matters. I, I think it's a good book. I think it's a good career yeah. and business book. Although I wrote it specifically full of examples with fitness because it's my people, you know, people actually, when we were editing this, my publisher was like, why don't we just make this a general category business book? I'm like, oh yeah, that's not that's not my people. Yeah, these are my people, and I know my origin story. Yeah, right. It I was imprinted at the gym, so
0: I'm writing this for those people. That's why it's what it is. Yeah, it's awesome for that. I think like even like if you work in a bank and you're like, my job sucks. Right. If you were to just the, the principles alone. Yeah. Like obviously you could you can never swap that. I'm like, but I do think it is helpful for everybody. Mm-hmm. I really do, and uh, and I mean that because I'm going through it. And I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, and a lot of these things are like just. Kind of, and I've went through similar things, mm-hmm. but I've never done them at this age, mm-hmm. at this time, yeah. which that's what I'm getting at. Like, if yeah, you're...
1: I recently did, redid mine. Uh, we, it's helpful. We have this thing called the Caliper Profile. It's a personality inventory that you know, 3 million people have taken and it's research validated. So I recently did that and redid all these because I'm at a new act in my life, right? A lot of the answers are different now that I'm a when you were stay at home dad and you know when you were an angry young bodybuilder that's right it's way different now or a hyper competitive entrepreneur you yeah know? uh so i was like hmm, i wonder how much these things have changed oh a lot that's interesting yeah. cool now i can enter this new
0: phase of my life with new scripts rather than the old scripts i dig it man um this is good dude this is a lot of good stuff i could talk to you for like five hours man um mm-hmm. I could ask you way more nutrition questions too, Yeah, selfishly. We didn't do enough of those. I know, but this is great stuff. Uh, so where do these guys find you at? JohnBerardi.com? Yeah,
1: just come see me at JohnBerardi.com. You can grab my book on Amazon. It's usually like 18 bucks or something like that, which I feel like is a pretty good bargain for what it is. Um, and if you want to see what else I'm up to, JohnBerardi.com is the place and you can jump off from there. And you're on social. Yeah, I post every once post in a while. You post some stuff, yeah. Yeah. You just don't have to live in it like we do. Yeah, uh, I maybe put three posts up a week or something like that.
0: But your stuff is good, though. It's more uh, introspective. At least yeah. I've been starting to, to to troll it lately. And uh, Yeah, and uh, I all. don't
1: have any professional photo shoots or anything of you don't need me to, with do. my shirt off or whatever. It's usually just things that I'm thinking about. But if you more. do like
0: a throwback Thursday. I've d- I've
1: d- I, d- I did a phase, like two weeks of old photos of me and like mentors and
0: the, my shirt off bodybuilding days and yeah. stuff like that. And they, they, people really like that. It's fun. Cause I imagine myself like when I'm like 80 and I'm like that dude, who's like, I used to be that fit. And this kid's like, fuck you, yeah. dude, you weren't. And I'm like, no, no, I really was that dude. Well, this is,
1: this is something I, um, think a lot about now because there's a time and people think, no, you're crazy, but there'll be a time in my life where I will forget that I had run precision nutrition. Right. And, um, no, no, you won't. But like most important thing to me is my family, right? Yeah. And my wife takes lots of pictures and makes these like photo albums out of our summers oh, and experiences. We do our trips stuff. like Shutterfly books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you do all this? I won't forget any of this stuff. It's the dumbest statement ever because I've forgotten things from like three years ago. Completely forgotten. Without these books, there will be vast swatches of my life that never happened. Functionally never happened to Which me. Which is crazy. And I think, so we do this with our vacations and our relationships. Um, I, I wonder how you can do it for your business to capture these things. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Can you capture some of these recollections? You know, because this is like this facility that you're in, yeah. even doing this podcast, do the things that are meaningful in your life right now. And they'll come, hopefully it'll come a time where you evolve well past this or different than this, yep. that there's a chance you could forget about all of this. It'll just be some fuzzy memory of that facility you had off of, you know, this one road in Scottsdale. Uh, how can you do the equivalent of a photo book for your career is what I think a lot about and encourage people to consider.
0: That's kind of like, I mean, in my brain, obviously we still, we document everything and we try to record it on YouTube and the site and everything to me, how Instagram started is like, it's just a scrapbook of your memories and your life. Now we turned it into a business obviously, but that's, it's kind of like this digital highlight reel of like, and now it's just like me working out and cool people I get to meet, which is (laughs) kind of sweet though. Yeah. I dig it, man. Um, Awesome. I appreciate it, dude. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having Uh, me. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. You're a... You're a unique dude, man, like one of a kind. Uh, I'll, I'll say that for sure. And uh, if you guys don't, um, check out the site. He is, like he's admitted here now, um, probably put out more awesome stuff he's forgot about um, that he even knows is out there. And I mean this. You've impacted the industry as much as, like, anybody. I mean, that's a real thing, which is crazy to see, dude. Um, it's, it's an honor for you to come in here. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate um, you
1: having me. And for those of you listening for all this duration, I appreciate you too. It's a lot of your day and hopefully you got some value out of it.
0: So yeah, give him a follow. I'll post all his stuff in the show notes. Um, when he's back down here again, we'll uh, we'll drag him back in here and we'll ask him questions that you guys uh, send in as well. Um, if you guys need anything as always, obviously just hit me up. If you're on Spotify, drop it a five-star. We appreciate it. If you're on Apple Podcasts, don't be a lazy ass, scroll your finger down, drop it a five-star review it. We appreciate it. Uh, and until next time you guys eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.